Welcome to The Dish, a 90s action movie podcast where your hosts don't know much about movies or about food, but we try to bring it to you in a digestible way. I'm Mitch. I'm Zach. And today we have our first guest for the movie The Mummy. We told our friends that if they had a movie that they absolutely loved, it was their favorite movie in the whole world, that they could come and record with us for one movie and one movie only. And our friend Sarah chose one of the worst movies of all time, indeed, The Mummy. Zach, I don't think I'll be talking to you after this. Welcome, Sarah. This is <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, so this is only a one gig deal? Um, because I'm going to have to come back for George of the Jungle. Uh, maybe that'll be one per season? Maybe. I don't know. All we right. we ha- our, With our role system, it's very stochastic. There's no, uh, no telling who's going to be on when. This is something we have to sort out at some point. I think I what we should do, because it's been working, is maybe we select 30 movies, and that's the pool we choose from for a season. Like, or maybe all the ones we, that we've already watched, we take out of that pool, we put 10 new ones in, and then we'll choose from that list of 30 for the second season. Okay. Or at least if it's the same era. How many a, movies in a season? Ten. We're going to do 10 per season. Okay. Yeah. This is all still very experimental at this point. Yeah, we we have a ravenous following, as you know. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's just me and Zach, and you've listened because we've forced you to. You didn't force me. You did force me to be here tonight, but not to listen. I forced you at your request. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan Fraser's there. I'm there. Yeah, that's a good mantra. Yeah. He's coming back, I hear. He's in a couple things these days. Um, He's not aged well. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, Brendan, I don't know what happened, but I'm here for you. First fun (laughs) fact of the night. He got injured during this movie, and and he, I think, attributes some of his um, not very good aging to that fact. And the mummy? I think he got injured in a lot of the movies, like George of the Jungle, The Mummy, Mummy Returns. Yeah, that's that's probably accurate. Uh, We'll get to his specific injury in this one when we actually start going through it. But yeah. So, Zach, I'm going to ask you really quick because uh, I've been chomping at the bit to know ever since you like teased me at a party about how you had a fucking Let's amazing Marin topic. Okay. So, would it be? At, Sarah, at the beginning of every pod, we just kind of like bullshit for like five, 10 minutes. We've been thinking ahead of time, like, what can we talk about? And I told Mitch a while ago, I teased Mitch. I just teased As Mitch. you often do. Yes. Sexually. Um, that, like, like, this was like weeks ago. I have a Marin topic, but I can't tell you yet. So this is beach related. Okay. It's it's a little bit dated now that we went to the beach, what, late September? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So we all went down to the Outer Banks for four days. Right. Yeah. Had some fun in the sun, got in the water, hung out, had a beach house. I remember telling you after I got back that I was a little bit like sore. Do you remember that? You gestured to your groin just now. Was that a... <laughs> it was it was under the table, but I see how that sounds a little questionable. Like a little sore, but uh, I said my side hurt. Remember that? I think so, yeah. So it kept hurting for a while. So I ended up going to the doctor. I had it checked out. I broke a rib on that trip. Are you kidding? What? I'm dead serious. Um, Holy shit. I'm pretty sure it's when we were all like taking turns boogie boarding or whatever. Mm-hmm. When I went, when the... Breakers like right in the shore, and he saw me like eat mega shit. Yeah, you like almost shrimped. Yes, scorpion. Yeah, scorpion. That's yeah, it. yeah. I think that was it. There's nothing else I can point my finger to. At that time, I got out and was like, I'm kind of banged up, but I feel fine. Yeah, nothing's really wrong. But then, literally the next day, I was like a little sore, not really too bad. And then a couple of days later, once I got back, I was like, it hurt, like sleeping hurt. 
like laying on that side or just yeah or general? just kind of in general like shifting around engaging my core and um they took an x-ray and they were like we're pretty sure you have a broken rib damn I was son like, fuck <laughs> i about got a broken face that trip we were playing oh, uh yeah. spike ball which is a game kind of akin to volleyball except the net is just a circle it's on the ground it's a trampoline like, it's like a little trampoline for the ball and you spike it down onto the net and then the other team has to hit it back and like the first game i stepped in i was like i don't know what i'm fucking doing and i went for the ball when it wasn't even my team's turn and got an elbow in the face by our friend brandon who's like he's got probably 50 pounds on me came right back hit me straight in the face and my jaw like locked back it hurt a lot and for the next month i guess i could feel what felt like swelling inside my ear if i moved my jaw a certain way but it's good now Man. Yeah, you were opening and closing your mouth a lot after yeah, that. I still do. You popped yeah. right back up like a champ, though. Well, I mean, I had some booze in me. <laughs> so, yeah. So was was it worth the wait? I think it was. The yeah. secret. I uh, I'm, I'm on the the come down now, so I'm kind of a uh, man. <laughs> I can't believe you you like kept that a secret from everyone. Well, Just broke my rib. No big deal. I thought about telling Nick, but then I was like, well, Nick will probably tell Sarah. It's like I can't I can't tell Nick. I don't know. He's been keeping your relationship uh, pretty secretive for me, I think, because it, it bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> Nick being uh, Sarah's jealous. SO keeps a lot of things from Sarah. <laughs> Trust me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, oh, Zach texted you. What are you guys talking about? Nothing. <laughs> like, is it about beer? Uh, maybe. Yeah, it's about beer. Sure. We'll go with that. It's kind of embarrassing that like 90% of our conversation is beer. <laughs> It's better than 90% of your conversation being each other's genitalia in media format. Like is a, that what you and Nick's relationship is? That's what is? we do, yeah. <laughs> 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 Not really. But Sarah seems to think so. She jokes about it all the time. It happens. I've seen it. I've never seen it. You're missing out. <laughs> You're a lucky girl, Sarah. <laughs> I'm sure. I am. Love you, Nick. This may all be edited out. Just dick talk. Yeah, just, this has been dick pod. Yeah, this, is a, <laughs> <laughs> this is this has been our member open, based on Nick members only. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna tell one more story about this beach trip, and then we can move on. <laughs> okay. Eyes, Sarah. Um, so our friend Sarah here got a little bit too drunk on vodka. I think two nights in a row. That doesn't sound like me. Uh huh. And so a couple of us thought it'd be a good idea to hide your vodka. <laughs> And so we took your big, what is it, two liters of Grey Goose? Yeah. And I stuck it in the oven. Yeah. The next night, we were preheating the oven for something. I don't remember what exactly. Oh, my Someone God. Someone preheat it. I didn't know this. And we heard this, <laughs> <laughs> this pop. And it, w- it was like, what is that smell? And what the hell was that? And then I'm like, oh. And two or three of us who were there when the vodka was hidden realized and, and looked at the oven and like, oh, shit. And we opened it up and the vodka spilled all down on the element. It's burning. It's all up in smoke and well, steam. I knew I didn't drink that much vodka. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, yeah, we, 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 we like me gra- money. We grabbed a mitt and we took it out and put it on the counter and you walked in right then. Oh, my God. And we're like, what's going on? I was, we were all just like, Oh, nothing. Just preheating the oven. I literally had no idea. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't go for a drink to have some hot vodka. Yeah. Like, what happened? <laughs> Holy shit. 
Yeah, good times. I uh, did find my vodka on top of the cabinet and also in the microwave at one point. Those were uh, once I realized you guys were hiding it from me. It made I, I made it a mission to find it. I think oven might have been like the third hiding spot. Really, and those were the first two. Okay, so what I'm hearing is I have a drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We're going to make this a yearly trip, so maybe there'll be some more stories we can bring to our viewers about our... I'm going to bring backup vodka. <laughs> Just go down to the mildewy basement. She's down there <laughs> I'm not getting it. basement next year. <laughs> I think about 90% of the people that actually listen to our podcast are, were also patrons of this beach house. True. So a lot of people probably already know these stories, except for maybe the broken rib. Well, y'all about ready to uh, get into it? Y'all want to get mummified? I was Fuck, just about to say that. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. Bring out the Mummify bandages. Mummify me, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> so we set the stage in Egypt, Thebes specifically, and they talk about how it is the land of Seti I with Imhotep, the high priest of the pharaoh. And it talks about how Imhotep is deeply, madly in love with Anaxonamun who is the pharaoh's, like, mistress, her, his chosen woman, who no one is allowed to touch. Can we just throw out here real quick that I'm going to butcher the names as we go along. Absolutely. And, and Hamunaptra? Hamunaptra. 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 Would you get a P in the Hi, welcome, welcome to the dish with Sarah and Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, you're... you're you're off the off the ticket. I am afraid you don't have that power, Sarah. <laughs> Damn it. Zach's here for the long haul. <laughs> Voted down. <laughs> but yeah, we know that in the beginning, Anaxonamun is not allowed to be touched by anyone else. And I guess the safeguard against this is the fact that she is covered in nothing but body paint. Like she walks onto the set and it's like a, a big Egyptian throne room, more or less. And there's a bunch of dudes painted gold who I guess are like... I don't know, priest or something. And she is just like clad in nothing but like a fishnet body paint from shoulders down to her feet. And I think she has a, a loincloth on. She has a loincloth and some and some nice gold jewelry. Yeah. She's looking pretty banging. Let's just say that. Like she's basically naked. And she immediately walks in and starts making out with Imhotep, who like grabs her by the shoulders. We see him smear the body paint. We're told by the narrator, nobody's supposed to touch Anak... Anaxunamun. Anaxunamun. <laughs> okay. Nobody's supposed to touch her. And... Um, Punishable by death. Right. And the pharaoh, once you know it, happens to come in right after they have a makeout session. We learn that they're banging, we think. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Imhotep makes himself pretty scarce, but the pharaoh notices that her body paint is smudged. And is like, what the fuck? Who laid a finger on you? And she, like, she deer in the headlights right here. She has a terrible job of lying. She looks down, sees her shoulder is smudged, and she's like, ooh. Yeah, she could easily be like, oh, I just it itched. Yeah. I had a scratch. Easy. <laughs> you got your out right there. Lots of bugs in Egypt. Maybe she wasn't ever allowed to touch herself. Oh, wow. Oh. Like, <laughs> she, like, <laughs> so I don't know if I want to go there or not. She's having a little fun time, and uh, Pharaoh walks in and with, off her, with her head. fucking shoulder. No, no, <laughs> well, no. <laughs> that's not believable. It's deformity. <laughs> Maybe that's her sensitive spot, Sarah. Yeah, teach their own. 
So he realizes that she's been touched. She panics, but not before Emotep shows up right behind the pharaoh, pulls his sword out, and right whenever the pharaoh's like, uh, what the fuck, she stabs him in the back. And then we get the like shadow over a, a drape of the pharaoh getting stabbed to death. I appreciated that. Instead of the gore? Yes. As a PG-13 movie, mm-hmm. I think they did a great job depicting the violence without being obscene. It was fun, too. It was like, there were several was, scenes that were yeah. silhouetted or whatever. It was so dramatic. And it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Would y'all like to know a really funny fact about this particular scene? Sure. So, Arnold Vosloo, the guy who plays Imhotep, he, in an interview, I think somewhat recently, talked about how there was a prank that was played that he had no idea about in this scene. So when they shot this, it was one of the first scenes that they shot. Brendan Fraser was not supposed to be on set at all. And Anaxinamun is supposed to come out and like all clad and nude and shit. Apparently, Brendan Fraser sat in the makeup chair and had them do the entire four-hour body paint process with the loincloth and all that on him. And when they went to shoot the scene, he walked out. Oh, my no God. Way. <laughs> And he like he turns around to see her, and he sees Brendan Fraser just <laughs> completely like golden black. And <laughs> well, I'll be touching my shoulder tonight. <laughs> Wait, sorry, who's Brendan Fraser? God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we haven't introduced him yet. Um, George the Jungle. Oh, that guy. Okay. What? What? Are you for real? No. <laughs> <laughs> God, y'all should be actors. <laughs> Wait, I would like to uh, make a comment yes. about this first scene. You can interject anytime. I think so. that a f- great move in the franchise of The Mummy would be to do a prequel and mm. highlight the relationship between Anaxuna Moon and the pharaoh. Oh, the pharaoh. Oh, and the pharaoh. And why she was so upset that she needed to cheat on him. We need some background there. Because I can't get behind this whole movie is based off of cheaters. It is. It's true. At least they're the antagonist. Yeah, that's fair. Wasn't the Scorpion King a prequel to this movie <laughs> with The Rock? Yeah, wasn't it? Or it, was, it was the third one. It was like in the same Mummy franchise. What? There was some like adjacency going on there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so much more epic in person. It's begun. <laughs> <laughs> hear it on the podcast but to watch it like you to watch it happen. literally pointed at your mouth <laughs> you commanded attention for that it wasn't even the intent it just kind of um you're like a composer but with burps <laughs> that's right crescendo i'm a real mozart with the mouth <laughs> flatulently so the guards of the pharaoh come in the magi Medjai. This is one of those words I don't know how to Not say. Magi. Yeah. They come in and Imhotep wants to stay with Anaxinamun and protect her. She's like, you're the only one who can resurrect me. Get out of here. And so he goes with the priests and right as, as the guards are coming in, Imhotep is leaving. Uh, Anaxinamun kills herself, stabs herself again with a nice drapery silhouette right in the chest. Egyptian seppuku, yeah, if you will. Most indeedly, Zach. So only one person can't be punished for this crime, at least two. So they go to hunt down Imhotep, 
who again is the high priest, they hunt down him and decide to punish him and his harem of priests. So they mummify all his priests, but they save the most unspeakable punishment for Imhotep. I forgot what the word for it is. It's like Dom Hall or something. The Hum Dai. Hum Dai. Yeah. Because I thought they said Hyundai at first. <laughs> he gets the Hyundai. <laughs> the worst of all brands. <laughs> the worst of all automotive curses. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Kia? Yikes. Zach, you drive a Kia. I happen to That's have a Kia. Awkward. I'm so sorry. I made eye contact with you when I said that. <laughs> it's been good to me so Your far. Your car is actually pretty nice. Um, you say that now. So what they do with this Hyundai is they... <laughs> it comes with no features. They don't mummify They don't mummify him in the strict terms of like embalming him. They just wrap him with bandages alive, put him in a sarcophagus, and then dump a bunch of flesh-eating scarabs in with him. I have a fun fact. I feel like this is a good, a good moment to drop it. All right, let's hear it, Sarah. So the director originally wanted Emotep to be the narrator of yeah. this whole movie. Oh. But the... Then he realized he couldn't narrate with his tongue cut out. Was it his tongue cut out or that he'd be speaking Egyptian? Both. <laughs> <laughs> so the, uh, he gave it to um, a character we get to see in a little bit, right? Uh, what's that guy's name? Well, we actually never see... We, we don't ever know his name. He's just um, a very steely hunk of a Medjai. Having Imhotep as a narrator would almost kind of turn this into like a fallen love story. An autobiography. <laughs> Like like a tragic love story. Yeah, it would change the tone for sure. Like he went through multiple lifetimes to get back the love of his life, but was thwarted at every turn. That is a pretty cool take. I like that. Let's let's make a 2021 version of the mummy that is from Imhotep's perspective. That would be cool. I've, has anyone seen the 2017 mummy with Tom Cruise? No, I, have I haven't either. But I don't want to. I refuse. <laughs> But I do know that Tom Cruise was originally considered for the role of Rick O'Connell. I heard. What? Character, and then he got it like 20 years later. <laughs> it wouldn't be the same movie at all. I'd, I'd be interested to see it just for curiosity. Uh, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Sylvester Stallone. There were like a ton of people who were originally considered. But I think the person who ended up directing it, Stephen Summers, he didn't want it to be a horror movie. He didn't want it to be a comedy. He wanted to blend horror action and and comedy into one movie it's so good because it turned out to be so much fun it really did this movie while it has a lot of serious parts is overall just enjoyable yeah so we come to find out that with this particular mode of death by hyundai (laughs) if if the sarcophagus is opened and unlocked the cursed inside will come back with unspeakable crazy villain powers right like and they knew this going into it they're like right hey man this is like the this is the most we can fuck you all right but the silver lining is if you ever do come back you'll basically be a god yeah we're fucking you big time but if you come back you're gonna be fucking us big time yeah and that that sets the stage for what is to come it almost seems like a punishment you'd reserve for someone that like is actually revered like, oh, you were great in this lifetime. Let's wait until you come back with all these crazy powers. <laughs> it's funny you say that because the real Imhotep was actually revered. He was like the architect of a couple of the pyramids, and he was very well-to-do in his time. We jump forward several thousand years, and it's 1923. And we see Brendan Fraser fighting with a—is this a French army? 
they get overrun by an army of turban-clad soldiers. I'm maybe that was the Egyptian army. <laughs> Basically, it's like a really action-packed scene. They they've all like made a line in the ruins, making a rifle line, and this big army is coming up on them on horses. As they see, this army is really big. There's just like two dozen of them. A bunch of them start chicken out and run away, including the dude who's like right there with Brendan Fraser, who we learn is Benny. He's just this snakish looking. Weasley little boy. Yeah. You're with me on this one, right? Oh, your strength gives me strength. Run, Benny! Run! Get inside! Get inside! Hey! Don't you close that door! Don't you close that door! They get overrun by the army, and Brendan Fraser is like the only one who's holding up. He's retreating, but he's still popping shots. He gets deeper into the ruins, and right whenever he's surrounded by all these cavalrymen and is about to eat it, um, they all look up and they, they gasp and they run away. And then he turns around as he's, he's standing directly underneath a statue of Anubis or something. Mm-hmm. And then we hear some creepy whispering, and the sand starts to like hurdle around him and go all up over the place and it's looking pretty cursed and then a giant face comes out of the sand screaming yep <laughs> yeah I forgot to write that down but and Brendan Fraser's like what <laughs> yeah so he's he's like the only one left here and he wanders into the desert into the what into the desert, <laughs> the desert. <laughs> he wanders into the desert right here <laughs> and the Medjai are up on the cliff watching him uh, the director said that originally they wanted the Magi to be tattooed from head to toe. Ooh. But Oded Fair, the main Magi, was too handsome to cover up. Ooh. So they just did the cheeks and the forehead. Got to kind of agree with him, though. I'm yeah. not going <laughs> to fault him for that decision. That, man is that was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure is. Yeah, he, he's kind of like head of the pack, I guess. And they see Brendan Fraser wandering into the desert, and one of his. Dude's just like, uh, well, let's go kill that guy. This steely Medjai guy is like, nah, we'll let the desert kill him. So the next scene, it's it's a total change. We shift to um, a very steamy librarian in Cairo. And she's putting some books away or whatever on top of a very stilty ladder. And uh, loses her balance on the ladder. Kind of has a fun little like scene where she tries to regain her balance or whatever. And so she ends up like falling into a bookshelf. They all domino. And her boss did, I, his name was unfamiliar to me, but his face was so familiar to me. I feel like I've seen him in so much stuff. Yeah. Her boss comes out like fuming the curator, I guess. Seems like a huge ass. Starts comparing her to plagues. Oh yeah. (laughs) I'm so very sorry. It was an accident. When Ramses destroyed Syria, that was an accident. You are a catastrophe! And so as she's kind of like wallowing in her mistake, she hears a bang in like, I guess the library artifact room. And she uh, kind of starts walking through and we get our first jump scare. This giant mummy, uh, what feels like when I was a kid, giant mummy pops out. Have you no respect for the dead? It hasn't gotten supernatural yet. It's her brother who like played a prank on her. Her brother Jonathan, who is um, hanging out, and he happened to find some old like seal. It's what we know as the same seal that was used to seal Imhotep's sarcophagus. Yeah. It's, a, it's a key. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Sarah's over here making sure that we stay on on track with our accuracy. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. 
Inside is a really old map. Somehow they date it, and it turns out to be a 3,000-year-old map of the mythical city of... Hamunaptra. Hamunaptra. <laughs> I literally just said it. I'm just waiting. It's spelled differently, though, right? Hamunaptra. There's a U after the end. It's not Hamunaptra. 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 Agreed to Hamunaptra. Okay, so they, they, find a, they find a map of Hamunaptra. <laughs> and the curator kind of like accidentally burns the map. Yeah. At least burns the important sections. Do you of the think map. that was intentional? So I'll say yes, I do after seeing the rest of the movie. But in this, in this moment, we think he's just a clumsy dude. And he's like looking at the map dangerously close to a candle and then it catches yeah. on fire. And it just so happens to burn away the area uh, the where Hamunaptra was yeah. on it. For the best, I'm sure. Many men have wasted their lives in the foolish pursuit of Hamunaptra. No one's ever found it. Most have never returned. But they don't take his. Uh, they don't take his, his advice. So the librarian we come to know as Evelyn, who goes, I guess, short by Evie. 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 Played by Rachel Weiss. Thanks again, Sarah. Yes. Nick loves that too. Well, no, I'd rather be saying it right than butchering it the whole the whole pod. Rachel Weiss just so happens to be like one of my big celebrity crushes. I get that. She's fucking beautiful. I she was more like cute and adorable in this movie than sexy to me, but I think it's because I remember her from the you Mummy see her Returns. In that white dress though. Yeah. Pretty and that banging. little black number. When I watched this with Katie, what she said like near the end of the movie was Rachel Weiss is in uh, lingerie or like bedtime clothes most of this movie. Yeah. And I was like, look at us. I respect that about her. She's in these sexy clothing, but she's not using her sexuality to like yeah. advance herself. Just herself. Fun fact, the uh, the white, I know you're going for it. You've got all these too, don't you? The, the boat? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> in, there's a scene coming up here where um, Rachel Weiss wearing a white nightgown ends up in the water. And apparently it went like completely see-through when that happened. And they had to edit it in post to like paint it white to keep their PG-13 rating. Mm-hmm. So this like weird object that jonathan has found this like key this relic turns out he stole it from somebody at a bar originally he said that he found it on a dig and since the part of the map that had hamanaptra on it has been burnt at this point they're like well shit we need to find this dude and figure out where he got it because he must know where hamanaptra is if he's got this so they go to an egyptian prison to find him and um would you know it it's george the jungle Looking sexy as hell. He's like ragged in this scene. Mm. He, his, his hair is like long and unkempt. He's dirty. He's like totally disheveled. You can tell he's been in prison for he a while. He looks all feral too. He's like snarling at the guards. George yeah. of the Jungle vibes for sure. Yeah. He looks pretty rough there. And so they just kind of cut right at the point. Like we want to know how to get to Han- uh, ha- Hamanoptra. You've done it. H-Town. First they ask him, why are you in there? Why is he in there? But when I heard you were coming, I asked him that myself. Yalla. And what did he say? He said he was just looking for a good time. And so they ask him about Hamanaptra, and he's like... He, like, force-kissed her. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, you want to know where Hamanaptra is? Come here, close, close. I'll tell you. I'll whisper in your ear. And he just, like, keeps motioning her closer and closer until he can, like, grab her, grab her by the cheeks and, like, bring her in for a kiss. And he's like, get me out of here, and I'll tell you. And then they haul him off to be hanged. And they're like, what? Apparently... He had a very good time. <laughs> She's like, but I need that map quest. And so as he's like on the, at the gallows, 
she's like bargaining with the warden. Like, I'll give you 100 pounds, 200 pounds. And she finally says 500 and he's like, okay, we can talk. She Choke offers $500 and he's like, yeah, we can talk and something else. And he rubs her thigh and she's like, how dare you? She swats his hand away. And then that's when he's like, hang him. And then he drops. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. Bye. That's why we need a third. <laughs> Near movie expert. Yeah. Sarah has eight pages of notes. I love this movie. <laughs> she tells him, Evie tells him that he knows the location to have an uptra. You lie. I would never. Truly? Yes. And if you cut him down, we will give you 10%. 30. 25. Ah. Deal. His life is spared. But you're right, Mitch, that I read this is where he actually choked to the point of passing out. I read that as well. Man, we all did our research this time. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's because I was coming. You want to be prepared. <laughs> but yeah, Brendan Fraser ended up having like two vertebrae removed. I don't know if it was directly really? related to this. Vertebrae? Vertebrae? <laughs> vertebrae, hammer, nerve. Vertebrae. <laughs> But how did they even do that scene, though? Because... They must have fucked up the harness or something. He was actually choking. He was supposed to stand on his tiptoes while this thing was holding him. And oh. he just, like, had a hard time or something like that. Or he didn't realize he was being asphyxiated. I guess he couldn't balance or something. But he, he said he saw, like, his vision kind of closing in on a point. I guess once it gets to that point, you're kind of... You start losing your faculties a little bit. So it, if he already couldn't stand on his tiptoes, he certainly couldn't when he realized it was happening. Damn. So they get him out. And they go to a harbor to depart on a boat. Evie and her brother Jonathan are debating if he's going to show up or not. And sure enough, he does. Shows up right behind Looking him. Looking good as hell. Yeah, he's all cleaned up. He's no longer oh, George man. the Jungle. He's like... He's Brendan in the city. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's Brendan <laughs> in the city. Evie's like... Well, personally, I think he's filthy, rude, a complete scoundrel. I don't like him one bit. Anyone I know? Um, hello. Oh, holy shit. This be a hunk. <laughs> I just didn't notice. <laughs> I do want to point out that she says, I don't want this to be some kind of flim flam to say it was a hoax was flim flam. Oh, uh, yes. And very period. Correct. I think we uh, need to bring that back. Flim flam. Flim flam. This pot is some kind of flim flam. <laughs> no, it sounds like a like a souffle to me. Isn't there something? Oh, the flan. Flambe. Flan. I, I sure don't want a flim flan. That's... <laughs> You don't want a flimsy flan? Yeah, or a, a flan made of flim. A flan flambe? A flimbe. A flan flim? Okay, never mind. That's, I guess we end it there. It, it, it's, it's fine. It's no um, brown is. I'm sorry I brought it up. What? In the Clear and Present Danger pod, I made like a bro joke. I said something about bros, and you were like, it brown is. <laughs> and then you did like that, like what you're doing right now, where you like put your, your face in your hand, and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. So they get on a boat, and they head out, and they run into another band of mercenaries, mostly American, who are playing cards on the boat with Jonathan. I called them cowboys during the rest of my I did notes. too. Did you? I also called them cowboys. I called them anthropology chads. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think that's better. <laughs> oh my god! It's a mouthful, but it's a good mouthful. Anthrochads. 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 Yeah. It sounds like some some sort of new like discovered bug. <laughs> we see the anthrochad. He has a distended chin. 
so yeah, Jonathan's playing cards with these anthrochads, and he's already blabbed to them about how they're searching for Hamanoptera. One of the guys there, I don't know if you guys have a name for this guy, the the more attractive blonde long hair guy. Oh, like, the one that I likened to a knockoff Jamie Lannister. Yeah, oh, I'd take that. That's yeah, perfect. yeah, Thank knockoff you. Jamie, Jamie Lannister. Low rent Lannister. <laughs> yeah, low, low, win- <laughs> low budget Jamie. Yeah, low budget Western Jamie Lannister is like, hey, I'll bet you five hundred bucks that we'll beat you there because we've got somebody leading us. O'Connell's old like war buddy that awalled him is like stowed away behind like some life jackets or something, and he just hears like ah, him like whimpering a little bit yeah and o'connell goes back there and is like benny what the fuck and o'connell almost kills benny and benny's like what about my kids <laughs> yeah <laughs> he doesn't have any kids i was ad-libbed for the record o'connell kind of figures out that he was helping the americans o'connell just throws him over over the side of the boat as you can hear him like screaming from the water you can see like people in the background that are paying no mind to man overboard oh yeah from a man just like, got thrown out over the side mm-hmm. of the boat must have been a win where's the crew of this boat we don't see a single crew member the entire time <laughs> like i guess it's on autopilot so right after they threw benny off the ship brendan notices Rick notices the... <laughs> Brendan Rick. We're on a first name basis. Uh, he notices the Rick. wet footprints leading to Evie's cabin. He's like, there's no way Benny would have come up the ship by now. Something's amiss. Something is afoot. A wet foot. Then a magi comes and attacks Evie while she's getting ready for bed. She's getting ready for bed and like swooning over BF. BF that she wants to be her BF. <laughs> My mind is blown by that acronym. I know. It's really original. It's- <laughs> The irony. Uh, This Magi wants the map and the key. She figures out that it's the Hamanoptera map. Well done, Zach. Thank you. I I had to pause for just a second. You didn't, though. That was very natural. It's a similar pause to when we try to recall the stupid names we've come up with with the characters. Yes. (laughs) As if this was a fictional city name. Right as she's having to decide, like, do I give my life or give give this guy the map, Uh, O'Connell, BF, busts in thinking that she might be in harm's way. He's dual wielding and starts, aims at this guy who takes uh, Evie, kind of like holds her knife point. Some other guy like comes in through the window. Basically a big gunfight ensues. Somehow something gets caught on fire. The whole boat just turns into like a Western shootout. The the cowboys basically, the American, the Anthrochats, start like <laughs> old school revolver, like pulling the, pulling the, fu- yeah, fan of the trigger. Everything's on fire. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is right here where, um, where O'Connell throws Evie off the boat to get her to safety. The prison warden, he runs up to O'Connell asking for help or something. O'Connell says, wait here, I'll go get help. And then just like jumps off the boat. <laughs> this, this was a really, really fun action scene. It should yeah, be like, mentioned, like, while this sounds probably like just a kind of typical action movie, there's so much like witty banter and just funny comments by a lot of the characters throughout. There's also some physical comedy going on here because during this crazy shootout, O'Connell's reloading one of his revolvers, and you see these shots coming from the left side, like hitting the wall closer and closer to him, and Evie's standing right next to him and just pulls him to the side right as the last shot hits where his head was. Pretty funny. Everybody ends up jumping off the boat. They get to the respective sides of the river, all of the Anthrochad's party, which is like 30 dudes, and Benny, and then O'Connell's party, they all get to the other side of the river, and Benny's like... Touche. 
So the next day, our heroes go buy some camels. Camel shopping. We're treated to a nice little camel travel montage. And as they get close to Hawanoptera, I'm going to have to pause every single time. For some reason, it just doesn't stand my brain. It went well. It went well. <laughs> Thank you. As they get close, uh, O'Connell sees the same like kind of harbinger that they're close to Hamanoptera because he sees the same horseback magi that he saw before on the cliffside. And they see him. This guy's a strong one. It should be noted that uh, because Evie lost all of her clothes except for her nightgown conveniently, that she's been done up in like Egyptian wear. And we do get some, some pretty leery looks from... O'Connell. Yeah, I wrote down uh, Evie and her smoldering eyes because mm-hmm. she's she's got the look. Maybe she was born with it. Maybe it's Mabel Maybe Egyptian. it's the mummy. <laughs> As they come to the uh, the place where they know Hamanoptera to be, they have a good old fashioned little showdown. The Anthrochads. And our heroes. <laughs> fucking perfect. I fucking love Anthro Chad so much. <laughs> are both waiting for something. We're not sure what, but they're just kind of like trash talking a little bit. The Anthro Chads are on their horses, like typical Anthro Chads. Our heroes are on camels. Camel Because they're smart and it's a desert. And they're just kind of trash talking about how they're going to get there first and yada, yada, yada. The sun rises and we see that the sun brings with it the gate to Hamanoptera. The sun rises and there's a nice little special effect where this place that you couldn't see before just suddenly is now there. Yeah, it's like a mirage or something. Here comes the rat race of the Anthrochads on their horses versus our heroes on their camels. Right? And the camels win? Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my main issues. I was like, no. Camels don't outrun horses. They're not super fast, for sure. There's not like a a Ford out there with camel power. Like it's horsepower (laughs) for a reason. This is silly. But, but, would a camel win on loose sand? I don't know, actually. That's a fair no. point, Zach. Because horses don't really, horses camels aren't are fast s- on loose shit. Can as this as is a Googleable question. Can you question. Google max speed of a camel in sand and then Google max speed of a horse in sand? I would be shocked if there's actually ooh, a difference. Ooh, 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 here we go. Camels run faster than horses in the desert. They have wider hooves, and the reduced pressure of their feet makes the camel run faster in the desert. I stand corrected. And their eyes are used to blowing sand, so it does not affect their speed. There we go. Take that, anthrochats. (laughs) (laughs) I found uh, an answer to a question we're wondering. Is camel meat red or white? Camel meat is raspberry red to dark brown in color and considered to be healthy compared to meat from many other animals. It's basically a tauntaun. (laughs) Is that from Star Wars? Yes. They're big enough, too, that if it does get really cold at night, you can slice them open and sleep in their bodies. And I thought they smelled bad on the outside. (laughs) Hardy, hardy, hard. No no comment. (laughs) Yes, Sarah hasn't seen Star Wars. What? What's Star Wars? Honestly, it doesn't really offend me that much. I'm a Star Trek guy. No, I, I like you Star know, Wars. It's the movie with the um, it's a bald guy with the English accent. He always says "engage" and make it so. Yoda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Klingon. <laughs> He's a Klingon. <laughs> so they all set up shop in this this city, this lost city of Hamanoptera. One posse in the center, that being the, uh, the Anthrochad posse, and then R four over at the edge of the city. So what I really appreciated about this scene was that the Anthrochads. You know, they're, they're comparing each other's camps and they're like, what? They're led by a woman. They're led by a woman. What does a woman know? I noticed, I noticed that you very conveniently burped over the fact you know that she's what? talking about women. 
I was actually going to talk about uh, male misogyny and um, yeah. Let's Thank move you, on. Zach. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Please, but, please continue. <laughs> please continue. <laughs> Men, am I right, ladies? But no, they, they they say they're led by a woman. What does a woman know? I can and just then, mute, I can just mute her right here. And the, don't you fucking touch that. <laughs> you just squeaked. <laughs> Did you know that was actually played? That that guy. Can was- I finish my fucking <laughs> sentence? <laughs> Guys first. <laughs> no wonder you haven't had any guests before now. Oh my god. No. We're Love gonna- you both. Love but you. shut the fuck up. You completely quiet now. I'm quiet. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> okay, I'm actually done. Please continue. Just wait until he eats it. <laughs> That's the next trick of his sleeve. I'm <laughs> dying laughing over here. <laughs> anyway, so let me start over. Mitch, yes. mute yourself. Um, I can do that like this. They're, <laughs> they're led by a woman. What does a woman know? And then they cut to Evie talking about all of her Egyptian knowledge and everything she's learned growing up in Cairo. And I just really appreciated the fact that they showcase this woman. Yes, she's beautiful, but she's not overtly sexual. Like, that's not why the men respect her. They respect her because she's brave and because she's so smart. She is in the know. And she's constantly proving the scholars or whoever wrong. Yeah, the Cambridge scholars. She's like, I know more than them. Yeah. She got rejected for a couple of like grant applications or something by them. And she kept like accomplishing things that they thought weren't possible or making new discoveries. So yeah, I agree that she, it wasn't like she was a made to be a sexual icon. She was sexy, but more so she was, she was beautiful, not sexy to me. I appreciate that, especially from a movie that was in the nineties. Anyway, back to you guys burping and (laughs) grabbing your cocks. (laughs) I wish I had a burp right now. I really do. God. So yeah, she's explaining like, this is the reason we're going in right here. This statue means this and this. And so they rappel down underground and they're in a ceneche, which is a room for preparing mummies. Did you look that up? No, she said it, I think. Okay. You know why? Because she's fucking smart. Yeah, it's true. I have so many words in my notes that are just like me writing it phonetically. You should see how I spelled sarcophagus. (laughs) (laughs) That's got a red line under it for sure. (laughs) They're progressing through, and I think the warden's like, I hope there aren't bugs. I fucking hate bugs. And then we hear a bunch of squirming of, of some sort of creatures crawling around in the dark. And they round a corner, and they're at the legs of Anubis. But right about here, I would be a good point to highlight like the kind of ambiance and like adventure feel that this movie is like putting together and starting to drum up is so good. The lighting and just the vibes in the cave, the sound, all the kind of like hush hush round curse and whispering. It feels so like like a darker Indiana Jones. Yeah. It's so okay, much fun. Yeah. It's enthralling. It, I think part of that might come from the fact that they spent a ton of money on this movie. It was an $80 million movie. They actually built the entire set of Hamanoptera in a dormant volcano. What? What? Yes. Yes, they did. Any reason for that? Because it was like all enclosed. The lighting was great. In the tomb... The gang runs into the anthrochads, 
and they have a little face-off about who can dig where because they both want to find the treasure. It's a perfect like example of the the like feeling you get and how tense everything is because they're like sneaking along and the music is all tense and eerie and there's like whispers and they both round the corner at the same time both parties do and that's like ah they all have guns drawn at each other Mm -hmm. so great in my notes i had said where are the cowboys at why didn't they follow them down there and then immediately after i said oh there they are So they have a classic Mexican standoff, but Evie is one of the cooler heads that's like, okay, you guys just take here. We're going to find our own spot. We can play nice. We can share. Yeah. They know they've found like the thing because it's at the feet of Anubis. And Evie's like looking around and she sees a crack in the floor and notices it's something down there. She sees another way. She's wicked smart. I know the way. My girl. Which is actually good because the uh, anthrochads start trying to dig at one of the artifacts, I guess you could say. And they have with them kind of like retained Arabic diggers. And like, why don't we have them do this? Because it feels like this is about to spray hot gas at us. <laughs> and they, they put the Arabic diggers on it and it sprays hot acid gas at them and they yeah. die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they have their like cannon fodder that they can throw at things. They wonder where their smelly friend is, the warden. And then we cut to him finding that wall of the beetle medallions is yeah. what I called them. I appreciated the sound effect they used when (laughs) when they (laughs) popped one of the medallions off the wall. This will fetch a very fine price. I think this this scene is why I have a near-deathly fear of cockroaches. Oh, dude, I believe it. I think, at least. I vividly remember where you can see the scarab under his skin. Yeah. Yeah. That's like imprinted with me. Dude. When I saw it in theaters. As a kid, like watching this as a kid in the 90s, I remember being like, oh shit, this movie's scary. And I was not, I've never until I married Katie been into horror movies. And this, this is a movie that like, it's action, but it's, and it's funny, but it's also got some horror elements. And this is one of the first, aside from the jump scare earlier and like the kind of alluding to the mysticism and whatnot that's going on. This is like a real like horror moment. He, he's like greedily grabbing all of these scarab medallions and he accidentally drops one and it like busts open. There's this really terrifying looking fairly large bug, maybe about the size of like a, a mouse for a computer. It, it pops out and it like goes into his boot. It like chews through the yeah. side of his boot, gets up underneath his skin and it's crawling up and he's screaming bloody murder trying to get the thing out of his body. You see it go all the way up, up his face and then it just like disappears from his eyesight. And it's just like, oh fuck. This shit just got real. The gang goes down underneath the base of the statue of Anubis. And they're like, well, it should be about right here. If we dig up into the ceiling, maybe we can get to it. They don't have much luck with it. And they decide to chill. I think at that point, Jonathan's like playing golf with a sledgehammer. And he makes a swing. And this giant sarcophagus falls out of the ceiling right in front of them. You want to take it away, Sarah? No. Damn, okay. <laughs> so about the time that the box falls out of the ceiling, the smelly prison warden guy runs in screaming. That's and, right. And he sprints across the room and he just slams his head into a stone wall and kills himself. Because there's a flesh-eating bug in his brain. Yeah, that's probably why. Might have something to do with it. So everyone's sufficiently freaked out by the anthrochad seeing their... Sherpa guides getting acidified, getting melted. The gang seeing 
the prison warden unexplicably run headfirst into a stone wall. Are, both groups are sufficiently freaked out and they're like, let's just call it a day. They make camp. And as they're kind of like talking about, they're kind of talking about if, if it's actually cursed, if it's not, the magi roll in, start to kind of fuck shit up trying to get people to leave. The guy that was never named in the movie, I... Oded Fair is Oded his Fair. name, but you actually don't learn that until the mummy returns. Spoiler, he survives. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> shit. So the, the leader of the Magi gets off his horse and talks directly. For the first time, they actually exchange words. Talks to O'Connell and basically just says, like, leave or die. And then and leaves. In this moment, like, knowing what they know, I was kind of, like, screaming in my head, like, be more direct. It's planting such a seed that you can't leave alone if you're a treasure hunter. If you're like, leave or die, it's like, well, they must really want the treasure too. Maybe they did that for a reason because I was thinking this scene like, you saw some people die today, really terrible deaths, and everything seems creepy. The wind keeps blowing eerily, like any time mm-hmm. that they like say something or do something. Maybe this place really is cursed. Oh, for goodness sake, you two. It's obvious this place is cursed, right? And then these Medjai people come up and start slaughtering all the, the people in camp. And yeah, they kill a few of the Medjai too, but like their omens abound and they still stay. It's kind of the horror movie trope where it's like, oh, look at this really creepy house we stumbled upon. Let's go into it unarmed. They've made this whole journey though. I guess. And they knew what they were getting into. Yeah, they knew there was Egyptian curses. And there are rational heads there that are like, curses are like fairy tales. That's true. Evie being one of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if I were in a situation where I saw, it, it's hard to say, but like, I think any one of us would be like, okay, a curse is not real. There's no such thing. I wouldn't. I believe in the supernatural, even though I've never seen it. Just because I feel like there's way too many unexplained things. And I've seen so many stories and heard stories from people that I know who I trust to the point where I'm like, yeah, there's something going on. I don't know what it is. It could be a lot of different things. I'd be one who's like, yeah, this is probably a bad idea, but I would also be really fucking curious. Yeah, and if you, if you had a $500 bet, too. $500 with... in 1923? What is that? <laughs> 1926, $500 would have been $7,813. Damn. How many? $7,813. Wow. Did they ever say what O'Connell's profession was because he just got out of jail how could he even have seven thousand dollars to gamble away uh marauder i'm not sure we don't i don't think swashbuckler doesn't the description say he's an archaeologist an american serving the french foreign legion oh i knew it but i didn't know it really so i guess he's just like all we we know is he's ex-military yeah who had a good time he had a very good time a very good time jonathan had found a bottle of scotch in um, the smelly prison warden's bag after he died. Jonathan and Evie are going to town on it. And uh, O'Connell's like showing her some moves, helping her you know, learn how to defend herself. And she's just like pissed drunk and wants to kiss him. And she leans in for one and passes out on him. Her head lands in a very precarious place. It, it do. Okay. But no, I, I do want to say <clears throat> one of the cutest lines of the movie was when Evie says, What's a place like me doing oh, in a yeah. girl like this? <laughs> yeah, that is adorable. You would say that. She's real cute. Yeah. But yeah, there's more background that comes from Evie in that drunken conversation. You know, he's, yeah. Rick is wondering why she's there. She's this beautiful, delicate-ish woman. And, you know, Jonathan's there because he's kind of slimy. He's greedy. He's, yeah. he's greedy. He's out for gold. And she's explaining how her, her father was an 
Egyptologist, I think, and her mother was an actual Egyptian. Yeah, she's she's half Egyptian. Yeah, she's half Egyptian. And so he's like, I, I get your mom, I get your dad, and I get your brother, but I don't get you. What are you doing here? And And she goes, I... I'm a librarian. <laughs> There's just actually, another cute Eviism. Where were we? So the Magi just told them, leave or die. Yeah. They're like, you've got till tomorrow. You have one day. Get out or die. And they completely ignore them. They Death. enact the bespoke wings. curse. The Anthrochaz and the gang concurrently open two chests that enact the curse. The Anthrochaz open like the chest that has the things that... The sacred jars. The, the sacred organs. Jars. So the sacred yeah. jars and the Book of the Dead in it at this point. And then, uh, oh, yeah. and then fake Jamie Lannister says, stupid superstitious bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He sure does say that. <laughs> Nearly the same time, the gang opened the sarcophagus. See who's inside, shall we? Is he supposed to look like that? No, I've never seen a mummy look like this before. He's, he's still, still juicy. juicy. Yes. The quote-unquote juicy mummy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that they're like, hey, that, that doesn't look quite right, but oh well. So th- this night, after the fated day where they open and unlock the curse, the curse is unlocked, but it's not quote-unquote consummated. At the campfire that night, Evie decides that she wants to read from the Book of the Dead. Being a librarian and having studied Egyptology, she wants to read from the book. So somehow this this book crosses sides. Yeah. Evie steals it. Evie steals it after they oh, fall she asleep. Stole it. Yeah. That's called stealing, you know. According to you and my brother, it's called borrowing. She starts to read it, and somehow the Egyptologist knew it was being read. He bolts up from like the prone position or something. It's just like don't read from the Book of the Dead. It's too late. She's already read it. And everyone can tell something is afoot. We start to hear like the first plague coming, which is a swarm of locusts. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. It's fucking biblical. They, they, you can see them coming like in the background, right? When he reaches up and, and screams that. And everyone runs into the tomb for cover, except for the Egyptologist who's like sitting there hugging the book and just covered in locusts. Crying, what have we done? Yeah. They get inside the tomb and a shit ton of scarabs pop up out of the ground in like a font of scarabs and they just all come running towards everyone. Jonathan and O'Connell are out in the front and they jump over onto a rock and Evie falls through like a secret wall. And she runs into one of the anthrochads who's a, a dude who has glasses and he had lost his glasses on the scuffle getting into the tomb. She runs into him. He really got Velmud. Oh, yeah, he sure did. And he turns around and his... His eyes and his tongue are missing. Because guess who's awake? Emotep. He's making the rounds. The juicy mummy. The juicy mummy. He's collecting body parts. I love this new name for the creature. Yeah. The juicy mummy. Yeah, the juicy mummy has... Uh, <laughs> that boy, damn boy, that boy, thick. <laughs> the thick ass boy, damn. He's stolen this man's eyes and tongue so that he can see and speak. They do that thing before he gets his shit ripped out where he's fanning, he's, he's looking for his glasses, he's fumbling around, and he stands up and he's like, you can just tell that he knows there's someone behind him. And so he turns around and screams. That look of fear in his eye was 
so good though. Yeah, it was. I felt yeah, it. That's true. That was good acting. That slow eyeball turn. Yeah, it was so up close, so intense. It just felt like a genuine moment to me. The I don't know camera work, lens choice, whatever, but like the kind of point of view that they were going for was all blurred, and you can you could just mm-hmm. tell a figure was there at one point. A figure built the suspense so well. <laughs> <laughs> It's also a little bit tropey because you could hear like in the background and uh, he's like, guys, is that you? (laughs) It's like, no. Does it sound like the guys? (laughs) So O'Connell and Jonathan run into Evie, who is like face to face with this mummy because he's shown up in the same space as dude who lost his eyes and tongue. He's like trying to grab Evie. He's facing away from the mummy. Doesn't doesn't see Juicy Mummy. She's just like fixated on him, on the mummy, like completely terrified. He turns around. He's like, oh shit. He goes, whoa. <laughs> yeah, whoa. And uh, the mummy does like a like detached jaw scream at O'Connell. And he O'Connell just yells right back at him and shoots him with a shotgun and they run is this the most iconic scene in the movie? You know what? It is the scene that they use on the the streaming service. They put a single screenshot from the movie. It's yeah. that one where like they're both looking at the mummy. Also, an emotep is a little bit more regenerated, and he's opening his mouth, and locusts come out. Is oh, another mean this, this one right here. If I scroll down, so they run out and they <laughs> <laughs> they find the magi again. They've like shown back up. Like, what the fuck did you guys do? Mm-hmm. We told you to leave, and look what you gone done did. Now we have to go hunt this guy. You, you've you've woken up the bringer of death. I I really liked how it was purely business, not like like we're gonna kill you now because you did this. They were more disappointed than angry. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it, they were like father figures, yeah. like my like my parents when I was in middle school. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now go to your room, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> Separate rooms. Rick's like, but dad, I want to help. Like, no, you've done enough. So we cut back into the tomb and Benny, that snake, finds himself alone with the mummy. The mummy is approaching him, looking pretty hungry, just kind of growling and snarling, getting closer and closer and salivating. Really looking like he wants to suck some soul. And Benny, who's always shown himself to be a coward, starts pulling all these different religious symbols out of his neckline. He has all these different necklaces on. He pulls one up and he starts like, blabbering in English like, like mantra or something and he pulls one out and he does like Arabic and then he pulls one out and he does uh, Judaism he starts speaking in Hebrew and and the mummy like freezes and he's like oh the language of the slaves you know he's speaking in his tongue as well and he's like I might have use for you I'll offer you great rewards if you you know are in service to me and uh, great rewards being you won't die a horrible death. Yeah, and there'll be gold. He like hands him a hand, a, a bony handful of like gold trinkets. And then he asks about uh, the sacred jars. Yeah, which are the things that the cowboys were interested in that were in the box that had the Book of the Dead. Cut to Cairo, and there's storm clouds brewing. They sure are. Um, we're back at it appears to be Evie's apartment or home, though they never really talked Extended about it. Stay hotel. Is it a hotel? Because she's from Cairo. So oh, she's she, from Cairo. Oh, yeah, you're she? right. So I was thinking it was her apartment. Yeah, That's a good point. Right. And I all of her shit's that. in the drawers. Who really unpacks in their hotel room? That's a good point. This is this isn't filmed in Morocco, though. So is she really staying there? Zach. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll kick you in the balls. So uh, Rick is packing her suitcase while she is at the same time unpacking her suitcase. That was pretty great. And then um, she slams his fingers in it. She slams his fingers. And (laughs) who jumps on the suitcase? But Holly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The white cat. Yeah. Evie has a a very beautiful white cat. Sarah says Holly because we also have a white cat. Named Holly. Named Holly. <laughs> O'Connell's like, this isn't our business. We need to get the fuck out of here. She's like, we started it. We're going to finish it. She's very gung ho about this, about staying in town and figuring it out. We cut to a hotel, a bar in the lobby of a really nice place. There's mosaics everywhere, fountains in the floors. And there's an old British Air Force captain who's being escorted in by one of the anthro chads. Or no, actually, it's B.F. O'Connell, right? I think is walking in. was like, hey, Winston, what's up? Oh. You know, O'Connell, ever since the end of the Great War, there hasn't been a, a single challenge worthy of a man like me. Yeah, but we all got our little problems today, don't we, Winston? I just wish I could have chucked it in with the others and gone down in flame and glory instead of sitting around here rotting of boredom and booze. Cheers. And they're just talking, but he's like drunk off his ass. He keeps walking into the fountains as he crosses the room. He's just like, why is there water here? And he just keeps walking. Someone spilled their drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. B.F. O'Connell is humoring him and is like patting him on the shoulder and all that. I think he, he wanders off. Oh, well, back to the airfield. <laughs> O'Connell and the rest of the anthrochads are at the bar drinking and discussing how the boat doesn't leave till tomorrow and there are plagues happening left and right. And as they all go to take a drink, they all spit it out because it's turned to blood. Dun, dun, dun. The juicy mummy is near. <laughs> He's actually in a hotel in drag, which happens to just be like a pharaoh mask and clothes. Yeah, lots of draperies. Anybody else find this funny? Oh, I thought you were going to say you were turned on by it. I mean, that too. <laughs> Was anyone else really hard during this scene? <laughs> Whenever I laugh, I get erections. Um, <laughs> One of those humor boners. Oh, yeah. Like when I get proximity boners. <laughs> story for another time. No, story for right now. <laughs> uh, I am one who occasionally gets what I call proximity boners. Like if I'm going somewhere, like on a trip, and we get within a few minutes of the place, I just get an erection for some reason. What? <laughs> I don't know why. It doesn't always happen, I've but never heard sometimes of it does. <laughs> Mitch what? mentioned that. <laughs> when, we were, when we were going somewhere, Mitch mentioned like, hey, do you ever get proximity boners? I was like, no. And he explained it to me. And we were like a couple minutes away. I was like, Mitch must have one right now. <laughs> was he like covering something? Did he have something in his lap? And you were you know like, it. that dude has a boner right now, and it was really awkward. It was actually Katie's hand in his lap. No, oh. it wasn't. <laughs> that didn't happen. Yes. Might cut that out. <laughs> Please leave it in. That's what she said. The juicy mummy is in Pharaoh drag, and he's talking to Mr. Burns, the same dude that had his eyes removed that Evie ran into. And he's non-conspicuously wearing bandages over his eyes and mouth. <laughs> Poor guy's just like groaning the whole time. So Benji is like Juicy Mummy's mouthpiece. He's talking and saying what Juicy Mummy wants. It's like, but the mummy already has your eyes and tongue, but he needs one more thing. He needs a little bit more from you. Just your soul. Yeah, and the mummy takes off his mask, and you get the sense he's about to suck a little more soul from that guy. Yeah, so that's going on upstairs while everyone else is downstairs drinking. He's kind of like Lord Voldemorting around. Uh, he's like regaining his powers. Yes. See what I've become. See what I must do to survive. O'Connell and Jonathan 
come up from drinking and they walk into the room on Juicy Mummy, like regenerating from this guy. And it's a problem. And they're like, oh, fuck, here he is. But then the cat, Holly, jumps up on the piano and like hisses at the Juicy Mummy and he gets scared into a sand tornado. Whirlwinds out of the room and the shutters close behind him. This is all while fireballs are raining down on the city. Fun fact about the fireballs, y'all may know this. They actually used dog food that they painted white to represent hail. What? Yeah. I read that. How'd they do that? They painted it white and they threw it up in the air. (laughs) Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) So it turns out that Evie's old boss, the library curator, is deep undercover as a member of Magi. I guess he feels like he he can out himself now since like the worst has happened and everyone just needs to work on the same page. And they're trying to figure out this... The Juicy Mummy, once he's been released and has incorporated at least one of the people he needs to, which are the people that opened the chest, he's basically unstoppable. So what do they need to do? He's going after the four or five dudes who specifically opened the chest. Like, that's part of the curse. Yeah. And Evie uh. kind of just, like, let slip. Like, well, he called me Anaksu Naman. I'm not quite sure how to say this. Kim Bassinger? Ba- Basinger? Ba- Basinger? Basinger? But now on to the cancer. Anaxuna Moon. Anaxuna Moon. <laughs> Sorry. <Wow. laughs> I learned that large names just don't stick in your head. They don't. <laughs> She's like, yeah, he called me Anaxuna Moon. The the curator and the head magi both like they kind of come to the same conclusion that they think Evie would serve as a worthy sacrifice to bring Anaxuna Moon back because she looks like her. And as they say this, they they like look at each other and then both look directly at Evie. It appears he's already chosen his human sacrifice. Bad luck, old mom. On the contrary. It it just chills down my spine. Juicy Mummy needs to desiccate the remaining three (laughs) dudes who opened the box. The remaining three anthrochads to fully regenerate. So they decide they need to quarantine these cowboys. Only problem is the Egyptologist is missing. The other two dudes, low rent Jamie Lannister, and who I called, I think I called him like high pants or something. No, he's the guy that can't wear a fucking jacket. Oh, yeah. Just Throughout t- this whole movie, his jacket is just one arm is in the jacket. Yeah, it's just hanging off. The rest over is just him. hanging off. Oh, my God. They're missing the Egyptologist. So they go out to look for him. They go to his. I guess to his place of residence. When I say they, Jonathan and O'Connell, I think O'Connell locks Evie in a room because she's like so gung-ho to go, but he wants to keep her safe. He just picks her up and plops her on a bed, locks the door behind her. They head to the Egyptologist's place. They find Benny rummaging around, looting the place. And when he goes to run, B.F. O'Connell grabs a chair and fucking chucks it at him. Trips the guy. Snipes him with a chair. This <laughs> man handles this dude. <laughs> really does. He, he's really roughing the guy up. And then he picks him up over his head and he's like about to put his head in the fan when he finally breaks and gives him the info that he's looking for. Also, did they have ceiling fans in, in the, the late 1920s? Philip Deal is credited with being the inventor of the electrically powered ceiling fan in 1882. Well, if they did, they apparently were very dangerous. <laughs> I can imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's making the, like, the cutting air sound as it spins. I've got a fun fact for you guys. Apparently, <laughs> the guy that played Benny, Kevin J. O'Connor, in this scene got roughed up so much that he was pretty badly bruised. So much to the extent that he had to ice his nipples. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> How do you get so bruised you need your nipples iced? I don't know. It, it happens. 
I just imagine like when he when he like went to grab him by the scruff and like bang him up against the wall or whatever, he just accidentally like gave him two giant purple nurples. Just like white knuckling those nips. <laughs> yeah. You don't think that Kevin J. O'Connell just like has a fetish and he's like, oh, what is me? I need some ice for my nipples, please. <laughs> I mean, he's milking it. Yeah, that's a good excuse. He's yeah, get it I, nipples. I get, I get it. Milking. He's really mil- <laughs> <laughs> now. I get it. I, I think I'm starting to see like the areola of humor you're going for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's titillating, isn't it? It's real swell. Nice, nice. <laughs> but like, can I just say you called him Kevin J O'Connell? Fuck. Kevin J. O'Connell. So as O'Connell is beating up O'Connell, they hear the unmistakable sound of someone's soul getting sucked out. <laughs> Just like yes. that. Applause. Yes. Applause. You did it, Sarah. That's why I was invited. <laughs> we knew you had some burp game to, to sling about. All right. Man, it's really uncanny. Nick saw that. No, I don't think he did. Did you say uncanny as you opened up your can? It was unintentional. Untentential. (laughs) Some good canned humor. I feel like my dad's watching me. You could can that and sell it. (laughs) (laughs) So as Emotep is sucking the souls of these anthrochads he's getting more and more of his flesh back he goes from being like this really goopy like disgustingly hollow man very grainy yeah yeah muscle tendon and you'll notice the resolution improves as he as he gets more and more of his uh body back his body renders a little bit more yeah they open up the window at the soul sucking screen and they see the mummy down there wearing like a fucking nun hood and he looks up at them and detaches his jaw again and shoots a bunch of flies at him that's the classic scene Pretty, pretty iconic scene, yeah. Probably one of the ones they threw in the trailer. To be like, hey, come see this scary movie. So they close the shutters just in time, and they head back to the hotel. And the remaining two cowboys, low rent Jamie Lannister and can't wear a jacket guy, are <laughs> they're hanging out, getting impatient because they don't have any alcohol. Can't wear a pants guy goes downstairs to get one. He goes downstairs because low rent Lannister asked for. Something like, I want bourbon with a shot of bourbon. Also bring me a chaser of bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> he just wanted bourbon, bourbon, and bourbon. It's very American. So right as Can't Wear a Jacket leaves, Laurent Lannister closes the door and in blows the sand tornado of Emotep and sucks him dry in a nice like shadow of the wall. You see him get picked up and just his body just sucked completely dry. Yeah, that was so fun. Yeah. You see, like, the body go from normal body to just desiccated while it's prone. That was such a fun effect. And then it gets just tossed to the side. Oh, yeah. Tossed right out of the frame. Was I the one that thought it was a little funny to see the way the sand was, like, thrown into the window? It felt just like pocket sand because it kind of came up from the bottom and it just, like, like chucked some sand so into the window. Oh, my gosh. So it's got, like, a, no, I didn't a kitty that. scooper and just, like, <laughs> yeah, scooping exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you got to find Emotep in the sand with your little, like... <laughs> Cat scoop. So yeah, we're at Evie. Evie's still in the bedroom. Oh yeah, Evie's still in the bedroom. Thank you, Sarah. Yep. Juicy Mummy stands up first though, and he is looking ninety nine percent normal. Yeah, he looks good, he except for like one side of his face, a spot on his neck, and a spot on his cheek that has a hole. And this is one of the grossest parts. Of oh, I know exactly what to a say. Scarab comes out of the hole in his neck, in through the side of his cheek, 
And Radford goes in, he like chews it up and you hear the bug crunching noise. Yeah. Oh. That is what you call the heebie-jeebies. It sets the scene for the next really gross part where he enters Evie's room and he's like, the knocks on the moon. And he goes in and she's asleep and he just like, you know, cups her face and goes in for a kiss and kisses her. And all the like decay that's still left on the side of his face and his neck moves to his mouth. It just like morphs yeah. and moves to his mouth as he's kissing her. And that's when she wakes up. Why do you think that is though? That's a great question. I don't, I wonder the same thing. Let's dissect that. Why is that, Sarah? Do you have a theory? I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe because she is alive and he's still dead. Yeah. And so the death is trying, maybe trying to inhabit her in some way. Opposites attract. Yeah. Perhaps. I guess maybe a more basic question that could help get to the root of this. Why was she the one that had to be sacrificed to resurrect Anak Sunamun? Was it because she was just beautiful or because she looked like her? Or was it because she read the book? How would he know that? How would he know that those four dudes were the ones who opened the chest? He wasn't Yeah, there. I've thought about Fair. this. Is Anak Sunamun clearly has not aged well throughout the years. No, she's a little dried out. Do you think they were going to put her soul into Evie's body? Oh, oh maybe. See, this is why we need that prequel. Yeah. <laughs> we, get, we get all the backstory behind the Hyundai. <laughs> so yeah, he's mostly back to normal now. And he kisses Evie while she's sleeping. And right about then, O'Connell and Jonathan bust in with the cat. And are like, look what I've got. And he sand tornadoes out of the room once again. Fucking Holly. Which, by the way, it just reminded me. It's probably good to mention. I thought this was interesting to include this tidbit. So interesting. It was the curator and the head of the Magi mentioned why he's afraid of cats. O'Connell asked, why is he afraid of cats? They mentioned that according to Egyptian lore, the cats are the keeper of the underworld. So as long as he's not fully normal and not tied to the underworld, he fears the cats will bring him back to death. Makes sense. We needed that. So they head to the museum, I guess where Evie works and where the curator curates. (laughs) (laughs) and they have like this big tablet that they're reading they're reading the hieroglyphics words are starting to get hard mitch the mall directory (laughs) they're reading the mall directory and it says that the uh, uh, francesca's over here it's right next to the eb games belk is on the other side anubis is over here so where does that leave the gold book yeah it looks like the book of amun-ra is oh it's underneath this other statue just under the dippin dots <laughs> <laughs> they've established at this point if the book of the dead brought imhotep back to life then logically the book of life the book of amun-ra could put him back in his place make him mortal again let's lock him in the brookstone <laughs> <laughs> He'll he'll be distracted there with all the gadgets for eons. Set him in a massage chair. <laughs> he'll never leave. He'll get up for a thousand years. <laughs> While Anak Sunaman goes shopping, he'll just stay locked in the massage chair. <laughs> the final plague is upon them, which is boils and swords. A bunch of townsfolk have come down with a pretty solid case of the measles. Bunch of lepers. Yeah, and they're marching through the street chanting. I just want to know why they didn't think to bring the cat with them everywhere. God, what a great question. I have an easy answer to that. Have you ever tried to take a cat with you everywhere? Have you met my cat? You have the rarest cat of all the cats. You have Your cat is ridiculous. Your cat makes no sense. It defies all <laughs> cat law. 
He's basically a teddy bear. You guys, cats couldn't be... You have also the rarest cat, but in the other version. <laughs> you have like the most angry, ornery cat but I've ever so seen. But she's so beautiful. She's she really is pretty. She's also a movie star. She is. She and was, was in this mommy. movie. I guess cat carriers hadn't been invented yet. It's a fucking box. <laughs> Put a cat in a box and be like, here you go. Schrodinger has entered the chat. Schrodinger? Schrodinger? Schrodinger. Schrod- oh, wow. That's hard to say. I, I think can- it is a not hard G. Schrodinger? Schrodinger's cat? Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. Yeah. So We are college educated. Uh, most of us. You went, to, you, you went to college, Mitch. I went to college. I never said we all graduated. Hashtag went to college. <laughs> so right as they figure out where the book of life is located, when I say they, it's B.F. O'Connell, Evie, the curator, the Steely Magi guy. <laughs> And the high pants cowboy and Jonathan. They're all there. And that's when all these swords and boils dudes come out of the woodwork and start overrunning them. They're fighting their way out and they get in the biggest car you've ever seen from the 20s. It's like 30 feet long. All seven of them get in it. Are there seven? Curator, cowboy, Jonathan, Evie, O'Connell, Steely Magi. All six of them get into... <laughs> listeners almost threw a shit fit. I know. <laughs> Had to correct myself. Yeah, so they all hop in this gigantic car and they drive out. Evie had a uh, classic Three Stooges moment where she finger poked. Did she? Yeah, oh, she yeah. finger poked one of the mommy? guys in the eyes. Oh, I missed that. It's it good. Yeah, it was cringy but also hilarious. <laughs> that was good. One of the Americans gets left behind and he gets assimilated in a desiccation kind of way yeah it's because he wasn't wearing his jacket (laughs) that's exactly why he was sitting in the back his jacket was like flowing behind him and all the boil-ridden villagers grab him by the jacket and pull him into (laughs) (laughs) they pull him into the fray and juicy mummy shows up and does the detached jaw thing and sucks his soul out and guess what he's 100 percent charged he's as juicy as he can get (laughs) yeah full juice (laughs) full juice mummy yeah (laughs) They escape for a little bit longer, but they end up cornered by like a thousand of these bumbling zombies. Naomi comes up and is like speaking to them in his tongue. Come with me, my princess. It is time to make you mine forever. For all eternity, idiot. He's basically saying that he'll spare all of her friends' lives if she goes with him to the tomb. So she goes. And of course, Imhotep's like, hey, slaves, kill kill them all as soon as we're gone. In bird culture, this is considered a dick move. But they escape through a storm drain. Thanks to the curator. He goes down in a blaze of glory. He hacks and slashes the leper villagers so that they can get away safely, and he doesn't make it down. He decides it's a really good time for a sword fight. Where did he get a sword even? He's just an old man, and suddenly he's just like, zing, I've got a blade. <laughs> he goes to town. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I guess when you're the curator of a museum, you can just grab a scimitar off a wall. You have access to weaponry, ancient and effective. B.F. O'Connell and Jonathan show up at the Royal Airfield to talk to my favorite side character. I don't know about you guys. Winston Havelock. And they say they have a mission. It's pretty much suicide. We probably won't come out alive. And he's like, sign me the fuck up because I'm bored and drunk. (laughs) Is it dangerous? Well, you probably won't live through it. Hi, Joe. Do you really think so? Well, everybody else we bumped into has died. Why not you? What's the, uh, what's the challenge then? Rescue the damsel in distress, kill the bad guy, and save the world. Oh, ha, 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 ha. Winston Havelock, at your service, sir. Ha, ha. <laughs> Can we talk about how we 
how he was when we saw him in this scene. He was in the desert in a lawn chair. When I saw that scene, I was like, I want a poster of that. He's just like 50 paces off of the airstrip through the sand. He's sitting in like a fucking luxurious armchair with a gilded umbrella. He basically feels like an interactable NPC from a video game yeah. that has like the exclamation point over his head for a quest. He really, he really <laughs> does. So they all hop in his plane. And by all of them, I mean all three of them. Jonathan... Steely Magi and O'Connell. Only thing is, the plane only has two seats. So Havelock's flying. O'Connell's in the back seat. Jonathan and the Magi are, are strapped to the wings, and Jonathan's losing his shit. Meanwhile, the, the Magi on the other side is like having the time of his life. <laughs> they're flying out to the temple. They see a huge sand tornado off to the side as they're on their way out there. And Winston Havelock comments, I've never seen one that big. That's what she said. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> and it dissipates. And it was actually turns out that not only can it get you away from cats, but it can get you out into the desert as well because that's their mode of transport. Benny, Evie, and Emotep all fall out of the tornado. So Emotep, he sees the plane coming and sees how excited Evie gets about it. There's my man. There's uh, O'Connell. He's going to come and rescue us. He's like, well, guess what, bitch? I can control the sand. And so he, like does the opposite of Moses and raises his hands in a gigantic sand wall. How is that the opposite of Moses? Because Moses messes with water. Do you think the opposite of water is sand? Yeah. The opposite of water is obviously fire. Let me just redo that. (laughs) This is true. Do you think the the weakness for water Pokemon is sand Pokemon? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to sit back down. (laughs) he raises his hands and creates a gigantic wall of sand just like Moses (laughs) (laughs) and uh, it overtakes the plane it's really cool because Brendan Fraser's in the back of the the plane with like a fucking machine gun and he's shooting at it and it's doing nothing and this big face forms in the plane and opens its mouth and just envelops it just like Moses just like Moses. (laughs) (laughs) Evie sees that shit's going sideways for her friends, so she distracts Imhotep with a kiss, grabs his face and kisses him, like wide-eyed, like terrified, kisses him, and he actually gets distracted, and the the sand all fades away, and the plane almost doesn't crash, but then it does. goes over a sand dune, and we see a big plume of (laughs) of sand pop up into the air. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) cool. <laughs> so O'Connell and head of the Magi—is that what we're calling him? I'm calling him Steely Magi or Steamy Magi. Well, we'll call him Steamy Magi. They get up and kind of uh, dust the sand off. Steamy Magi like rips the machine gun off the back of the plane and goes from like sexy horseback Magi to like Rambo. Yeah. He also ditches his headgear. What yeah. a smooth transition. Fuck. This was the point in the movie where I was like. I'm really glad they didn't cover this guy up with tattoos. I was going to say, this what? Is, <laughs> this is, <laughs> is what is Moses' scene? <laughs> I felt like Moses in this moment. <laughs> he pardoned my Red Sea. Uh, <laughs> uh, Winston dies. <laughs> A glorious death. 
He's the most beautiful dead man I've ever seen. I know. He's got this big smile on his face. He got what he wanted. His burial was about as beautiful as you can imagine. He's like in the plane. He went down doing the thing he loves. And then he just like beautifully gets swallowed by quicksand. He gone. What a what a bright flame that burnt too quickly. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Edit that one out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sometimes I leave in the really humiliating shit because... People probably find it funny. <laughs> so Emotep's taking Evie down into the tomb with Snake Minnie. So they're all going down to the tomb. And around the same time, Jonathan finds a scarab jewel, which comes alive in his fucking hand and immediately goes into his arm. And O'Connell, like, cuts it out and it pops onto the floor and then he fires a shot at it. Mistake. Blows it up. And Emotep looks up. He hears the shot. He knows that they're there. If he hadn't done that, they could have snuck up on him. Totally could have. Yeah, he also wouldn't have had the extra mummies that Emotep now summons because he knows that he's got opposition. Yeah, he just like says some words and summons some like mummy zombies with sand out of the wall. The gang stumbles upon the same like dark room with these series of mirrors that O'Connell shoots one of the mirrors and it has this like chain reaction of just lighting up the room. And as they start kind of walking around and they see all these like beautiful treasures, all these hands start shooting up like nasty zombie plants from the sand. I, I don't know if they know this at the time, but it's it's Imhotep's priests. God, what a fun scene. They're like backs are to each other. Jonathan grabs the dual wielding pistols from O'Connell's belt. Steamy magi, O'Connell and Jonathan are just like backs to each other, just like Rambo, first blood, but three people all just gunning down all these priests in this room. They're like the inept zombies, the ones that like shuffle, the slow ones. They're like the thriller zombies. Yeah, they're pretty easy to kill, but there's a ton of them. They're ready to dance. They're trying to find the statue that has the Book of Life underneath it, the Book of Amun Ra while they're being chased by these zombies. And they think they've found it, and they're getting overwhelmed, and Steamy Magi takes one for the team, and he, like, runs in among all of the mummies and is just hacking and slashing away. He's like, get out, go on and do the thing, go find the book. By the way, did that seem necessary? It did not seem necessary. It didn't seem necessary to me. Because there was nothing coming out of there. The situation seemed well under control. What? Trust me, Cage, it's the only way. What the fuck are you talking about? Did it, though? I feel like I disagree with you guys. Yeah. I feel like that was a necessary move. There were a lot of them. There were, but they weren't coming out actively. They were just kind of like doing their thing in the hole. I think that the Magi are trained in kamikaze because the same way that the curator like whipped a sword out when he didn't really need to That's to fair. like buy them quote, buy them some time when they were like still 50 paces away and starts, runs into them and starts hacking and slashing. And maybe it's just like in their blood. That's like, that's what they're trained to do is to throw their bodies at a problem so that other people can get away. But yeah, he, run, he runs in hacking and slashing and uh, B.F. O'Connell tosses a dynamite stick like in that general direction and seals the, the tunnel that they're fighting in so that he and Jonathan can get out the statue and get the book of Amun-Ra. And they do. They found the book. So meanwhile, Imhotep has started the process of sacrificing Evie for Anak Sunaman. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Anak, Anak Sunaman. So close. Anak Sunaman. Somebody help me out. Nope, uh, nope. No, you got to do this. No, on okay. I'm just going to Tra- are coming. breeze past it. Training wheels are coming off. No, you... He starts the process of sacrificing Evie for Naxunaman, right? Yeah. No. Okay. Close. Hit that applause button, Mitch. <laughs> I can't. It's Where's not right. Where's the boo button? <laughs> <laughs> Anaknusaman? 
applause. Anak knew. Anak su aman. I don't know why this name is so hard for me, but I can't get it. Can I see how you spelled it in your notes? Okay, literally, this is it right here. It's just A N C K. Anak sunamun. Anak sunamun. Applause. Okay. <laughs> so he starts the process of sacrificing Evie for Anaksu Namun. <laughs> oh my go. God, I would have died if he missed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just mummify me right here. <laughs> right as Imhotep, he raises his like ceremonial sacrificial knife to stab Evie to kill her to like, transfer souls. Jonathan shouts out that he found the book of Amun-Ra. And it's such big news that it distracts Juicy Mummy from the task at hand. Is Anaxinamun awake at this point? He's like chanting and shit, and the weird like pool of soul or whatever comes up and floats over and settles into Anaxinamun's mummy body. She was up, yeah. And she like screams and starts writhing, and Evie's like bound next to her, just like, yeah. oh fuck, just screaming her head <laughs> off. It's pretty intense. I wonder if it was a real person that was in the body of Anaxinamun. I actually had the same thought, and whenever they first show Anaxinamun, like, when she's mummified and like not moving, you can actually tell there that it's a real person because you can see a little tiny bit of movement. Like really? You can kind of see her breathe or move. Just huh. like you can tell that it's a person in makeup. Wow. Well, also, by the way, so many times people have said something or there's been a noise, and right as Juicy Mummy is about to go through with some dastardly deed, he just like stops. Like, what was that noise? Did somebody just start to chant that would be my undoing? Like, Instead of just like continuing what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. The, the his ultimate goal of actually reviving Anaxuna Moon. He's mm -hmm. like, wait, let me stop. Someone said something. Mid plunge. Yeah. Mid dagger plunge. Yeah. All you need to distract me is a word. <laughs> right. Some Egyptian word that might or might not be a part of a chant. He heard Amun Ra, I guess. But of course, our man O'Connell rushes in to save Evie as Juicy Mummy goes to like stop Jonathan from doing whatever he's about to do with the Book of the Mummy. O'Connell like walks up onto like the pedestal where, where the sacrifice is about to happen, and it's surrounded by these mummy priests. And he grabs a big ass sword, like a big bronze sword, which I think is the same sword from the very first scene where uh, Imhotep kills the Pharaoh. Oh. He grabs the sword and he's just like hacking and slashing away, just like knocking all these mummies out. And he's trying to get Evie free, and he, he does. He he breaks her binds, and she gets up, and she's at this point engaged with Anaximun, who's gotten up and has found a dagger. And those two are like Evie's running for her life, and Anaximun's like getting real stabby with her. This is where just like the climactic action scene takes place. It's it's long. From here on out, it's just a barrel of fun. It is. This is where it also gets kind of messy to narrate <laughs> yeah, in, I, in audio format. Sarah, do you want to do it? I mean, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. After B.F. O'Connell starts slashing away at these mummies, one with half a body, it's his top half sweeps him off his feet. B.F. O'Connell is on his back too far away. He's getting attacked by all these mummies, and he's almost just inches away from his sword. And then all of a sudden, he sees this mummy hand crawling like the thing from the Adams family towards the sword. Once this hand grabs the sword, he's able to grab the hand and uses the hand holding the sword to attack the mummy that is about to drop a tombstone on his, yeah, on his body. Yeah. Here lies B.F. O'Connell. Yeah. <laughs> he had pre-inscribed Verbatim. It. Yeah. Jonathan's still up on the uh, staircase. 
the massive staircase, and he's working to summon a mummy army. Did he know that initially? I thought he, he just did not like know started, that initially. He like starts reading, and then these like badass like elite mummies that still have like really decayed armor and swords. And they're shit. shields. Yeah, they have like yeah. shields and swords, and they come out of Helmets. a wall, and they're looking a lot more crawling on the walls like fucking spider monkeys. Yeah, they're looking a lot more capable than like the mumzoms that have been running around. It's like Egyptian phalanx, pretty much deadly. They're coming out. They're raising cane to use a another biblical term. Yeah. Evie realizes that Jonathan has done this and is like, finish the inscription. You can control them. We can turn the tide here. We can like get this working. And he's trying to figure it out while being chased by Imhotep. And he runs around and he starts to, to do the rest of the, the inscription, but he's having trouble working through the words. He's reading the inscription. He gets through it. And he's able to control these, these elite mummy guys. Jonathan commands his now mummy army to attack Anoxia. And they go after her. She sees them coming and like turns and is scared, as scared as a mummy can look. And then uh, we get another like fun like silhouette shadow on the wall of her getting like stabbed in the belly again. Right in the same spot. Right. Really at a sore point. Imhotep is uh, chasing him and like grabs Jonathan by the throat, picks him up, is about to strangle him. And then O'Connell comes in and hacks off his arm, cuts it off, drops Jonathan. Imhotep screws his arm back on. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan realizes to finish reading the inscription, he needs the key to open up the book and read the rest of it. Only thing is, the key is on Imhotep. It's in his robes. So Imhotep picks him up to strangle him. O'Connell rushes in, cuts off his arm. Jonathan gets away, and he's got the key. He got close enough to get it. At that point, Jonathan gets the book to Evie. Imhotep reattaches his arm, and he starts beating O'Connell's ass. They're like, I need time to finish working through this. Yeah, they're telling him to keep him busy. Yeah, keep him busy. No problem. As he gets tossed into a stone wall, (laughs) he's just getting his shit kicked in. Evie says the secret saying... And then ghost horsemen come and run through Emotet, basically. And then they're thinking that he was going to die. Pulls away like a part of him. Brendan Fraser's like, I thought he was supposed to die. But now he's mortal. So then Brendan also stabs him in the belly. Yeah. At that point, Emotep is enraged and he runs at O'Connell, who runs him through. A lot of belly shots. He's all bloody. And he backs into the into like the weird soul pool. Turns back into a mummy. Yeah, he remummifies. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and Nick said it was very Terminator-like. It really was. Yes. Yeah. I think a magazine described the mummy as Indiana Jones meets the Terminator. Oh, that's really good. Pretty accurate. So that's the end of the movie. No, it's not. Did you guys like it? No, there's still <laughs> more. Uh, only other thing to, to make a note of is that Benny, that snake, had been trying to escape this whole time, like... He's basically just going into the treasure room and like taking loads of gold and loading them on camels right. and going back in. He's getting like spit at by the camels. He's trying to escape for the last time and he's getting all tired because he has this giant bag of gold and he puts it on this little outcropping in the wall and it's a lever that lowers and then the whole place starts to self-destruct. The bells are going off. Everyone's running. They got to get the fuck out of there. The good guys just barely make it out with Benny in tow. They run through the treasure room. They get out underneath a wall that's closing in on top of them. And O'Connell tries to reach and, and save Benny's life, but he doesn't make it. And then Benny is stuck in the tomb holding a torch. It's getting dimmer and dimmer as he's surrounded by thousands and thousands of scarabs. What a way to go. And then you hear the fleshy, squishy noises of scarab consuming Oh, God, yeah. Creepy little sounds. All that's left of the gang now is B.F. O'Connell, Evie, and Jonathan. They're walking away, kind of watching Hamanoptra. 
Hominoptera. Hominoptera, like, implode. Hominoptera, hominoptera. Hominoptera. Like, implode. The camels are just chilling. Did you notice that? No. The camels are just, like, taking a nap. That's why you take camels over horses. They're way cooler headed. Literally. Yeah. And 20 miles per hour faster. On sand. On sand. (laughs) (laughs) Jump scare, or more like, jump. I'm so glad Steamy Magi is still alive. Yeah. <laughs> How did they not see him sitting on a camel as they approached the camels? I guess they were too busy watching the city. Did scene. we see him? No. Okay. Yeah, I don't yeah. think so. He was hiding behind a camel. You know, they got a lot of humps. How fun of an added scene would that be? Like, as they're emerging from Hamanoptera, you see him kind of like looking out from behind a camel, like, are they coming? Are they coming? I got to give them the real scare. They think mummies are scary. Just wait. <laughs> Boo! They make it to the camels. They've succeeded. They've escaped. And they watch it sinking back into the sand only for like a hand to come out of frame and, and grab O'Connell by the shoulder. And they look up in fear. And this one's a scared one. And they look up and they see that Steely Magi guy has actually lived. He made it out. He managed to slay all them mumzums. Mumzums? Yeah. Like. <laughs> he goes and he rides off into the not sunset. He's like, all right, good job. See you guys later. And he just rides away and leaves them away from the sunset. Jonathan's like, well, I guess we go home empty-handed. And O'Connell's, he turns to Rachel Wise. He turns to Egan. He's like, I wouldn't say that. And then he pulls her into a big kiss. And then they ride off into the actual sunset. The end. The and they... <laughs> <laughs> it's they the end, They have Sarah. the bag of gold in their saddlebag that Benny stole. Yeah, they didn't even see it. So they got some, some moolah. Oh, was Benny loading gold into the camels yeah. they took? He was. You see like the, the glint of gold on it as yeah. they walk away. That. Now that the fine. end. Now the end. Roll credits. Sarah, I got to ask you now. What'd you think of this movie? It was all right. Just kidding. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> and it, I haven't seen it in years. And it's one of those movies that I'm not disappointed to watch it again. This was the movie when I asked you if there was one movie you could come and dish with us about, what would it be? And you said The Fucking Mummy. Like, no question. Which is a porno, but this one we did instead. <laughs> that one's called The Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was and still is one of my favorite movies. I knew a lot of the dialogue still. Poor Nick. What would you rank it as if you had like, is it in your top 10? Yeah. It's in your top five? Yeah. Oh, shit. Wow. I think so. George of the Jungle is also in my top five. <laughs> also bedazzled. Uh, also Blast from Blast the Past. Blast from the Past. <laughs> What's that one where he's like a caveman? Encino Man. Encino oh, yeah, Man? Yeah. yeah, that's up there too. Those oh, are my top five movies. So your top five movies are all Brendan Fraser movies. <laughs> There's a theme here. I mean, Nick looks a lot like Brendan Fraser. No, so. he doesn't. <laughs> Damn it. Keep that out. You just like you put a bag edit, over his head with like out. a printed. I do. Oh, no, yeah. no, I have like a. I have a Brendan Fraser printout with a popsicle stick, man. You know one of those <laughs> things, and I just hold it over his face. <laughs> Zach, why is your face like that? <laughs> this conversation took a dark turn. <laughs> oh, Nick's man. a very handsome man. He is. It's true. Who's your favorite? I mean, I think I know the answer to this question. Maybe aside from Brendan Fraser, who's your favorite character in the movie? For sure, Evie. She's a great female lead. I dig that. She's a strong character. She's smart as hell. She's beautiful, but not like obnoxiously so. True. She's confident. She doesn't need support from men. She doesn't need 
reassurance. Validation. Validation. Yeah, she doesn't need that from anybody. She knows who she is and she knows what she wants. It she true. wants fucking Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Smart ass woman. <laughs> she might be my most favorite character. B.F. O'Connell included. You know, every female lead you find typically is has their tits out and <laughs> like flirts shamelessly with men to get what they want. But she's just like completely inept at what they try to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But she stands behind what she says and she knows what she's talking about and She's clumsy enough that it's endearing. And Zach, before we started this podcast, you prefaced everything by saying that this wasn't your favorite movie. And I just want to ask you why. (laughs) (laughs) That went from a very reasonable question to a very loaded question. (laughs) Why is this not your fucking favorite movie? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you a terrible garbage person? It's because I don't like The Mummy. Yeah. (laughs) At the beginning... I was just pointing like, I love this movie. It's not my favorite. But for an action movie, this movie like has it all that you'd want in a movie, especially as a 90s movie. It's, first of all, got Brendan Fraser. Ow, ow, ow. But it's got, it's got great action, solid humor that's not full of cheese. It's actually funny. And the story is actually good, interesting, and motivating. They build a cinematic world. They build this feeling that is so good throughout the movie. And part of it might just be nostalgia for me, too, because I remember seeing this vividly in theaters. I lived in Connecticut. It was my friend Andrew's, like, eighth or ninth birthday, and we went to the theaters. And I remember being freaked out by multiple scenes. I remember seeing some scenes that were really cool. So for me, there's a lot of nostalgia associated with the movie, which I think is a lot of part of why I like it. But dissociating that from my answer there's just so many things to like and so little things to dislike about the movie there's something about the villain too the juicy mummy it's almost like him constantly powering up and plowing through the anthrochads i haven't watched this movie in a while i don't know that i caught the implication of him like getting more human as he went along and that was something on this rewatch that like i really appreciate a lot more like that was well done i thought but overall i love the movie Mitch, did you like this movie? I really did. I think it. Uh, I I'm coming like on the. You're coming. We talked about too, but I didn't say it. I'm coming right now, thinking about it. Um, the proximity voters <laughs> finally paying off. Proximity to talking about this movie. I'm coming. I'm I'm kind of like riding the coattails of y'all and everything great that y'all said about it. It was extremely well done, and I I think for me the thing that kind of shines through it all is the fact that Steven Summers did such a great job of mixing genres. Yeah. I hadn't seen this in quite a while and I just remember it being really fun. But watching it again, I was like, damn, this is a horror movie, but it's also an action movie, but it's also a comedy. It's all in there. At every turn, it surprises you. It's witty and funny throughout, but there's a lot of plot going on and there's the action as well that's really fun. But then you get like this scene with a scarab. Or the scenes where Juicy Mummy is like shooting fucking bugs out of his mouth and whatnot. It's it's like, damn, that shit's, ugh, it's like nightmare fuel, you yeah. know? Oh, plus, just going to add in, yeah. like I said before, Rachel Weiss for me, huge celebrity crush as a kid and still. And Brendan Fraser is one of my absolute favorite actors in anything he does. Yeah. It's, it's hard to put into words what exactly Brendan Fraser brings that other action heroes don't. I think he does this in a lot of his like his action movies. He's like he looks like your typical action hero hunk. Like he's got the look and the vibe. 
but he's just got a lot more of the comedy chops. He's got and, more personality. He's got more personality. Yeah. I've read him described as like has he has like a golden retriever innocence. And there's something to that. <laughs> like he has this just aura of childlike innocence about him that most action heroes don't. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Like you can tell he's having fun and that his character is having fun because he's having fun. He's going to chase the ball and smile the whole time versus just like, I've got it. I brought it back. He, he's an actor who doesn't take himself too seriously. And I think that is what really pushes him to the front as like being this lovable action hero. It's almost like a screen screenplay of someone playing a D&D action hero. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really. Can I ask you a question, Zach? Yes. So... You said you didn't like this movie, really. <laughs> still stuck I'm, on I'm that, stuck huh? on this because I asked you specifically why you didn't like this movie and you seemed to retract your original statement. You didn't stand behind it, really. Do, am I intimidating you to speak the truth? Do you want to hear Zach like, tell you why? You want to hear like the other side of the debate? Like, I why do. Why to not like The Mummy? I want to hear why you don't like it. What are your main issues with this movie? What what could one not like about the mummy? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the question? I mean, we, yeah, yeah. Objectively, find weak points in the movie. I think. Yeah. Okay. Because you said I'm not a fan when we when I first came in. I was like, Are you fucking Listen, kidding me? Listen, Sarah. Sometimes when Zach tells a joke, it doesn't sound like a joke. This is very true. <laughs> Were you it just was, kidding? It was a hundred percent joke. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I wasn't being serious. <laughs> He's really good at that. I said y'all should be actors. I I gymmed it up big time. Okay. He really did. Touche, sir. So, yeah, no, I, I love the movie, really. Okay. I was being a total This whole time, facetious. I was like, this fucking guy. <laughs> How did I agree How to a podcast? How dare he speak on this movie? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love the movie. Like, there were multiple times where I, I, as I took notes, I paused. I was like, God, this movie is so good. I yeah. forgot how fun it is. To move to our next segment, I've got to ask, I'll start with Zach. Okay. Did you have a true hero for this movie? So our two heroes, our segment where we, the format is we choose someone, not a main character that did something to earn themselves the title of true hero. Typically funny, but it's more of like a side or back character, not a main character going out of the way to do something hopefully comical, but doesn't have to be. Often unnecessary. Often unnecessary also. <laughs> oh, I'm so afraid to ask you this because I don't want you to take my true hero, but please. I, I'm not going to take your true hero. I know who yours is. I know who yours is. Do you? Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. We'll see if that's true when we get to you. I won't blurt it out. I think I know who yours is. Sorry, I'm leaning back. I won't blurt your true hero out. Okay. My true hero, I am not very proud of because I don't think it's a good true hero, but... Well, why'd you choose it then? Yeah, change your mind. It is the curator. I knew that was your true hero. Oh, damn it. Okay. I thought you were going to say who I think is your true hero. No. Okay. I had the feeling you'd chosen the curator. For some reason, I was like, I think Zach will choose that. Maybe because he wants me to have the other one, but... Okay. You guys are cute together. <laughs> My true hero is a curator. Zach, can you say curator for me a couple times? Curator? <laughs> <clears throat> can you say it again? Potato, potato, curator. <laughs> curator. Wait, what is that one? Is it curator or is it curator? It's curator. I think you can say either one, right? I don't I don't know. I was curator. Just, I was just curious. Curious. You're curious. You're curious. <laughs> so, curious. So I chose the curator because, first of all, he tried to stop all this nonsense. Uh, in the very beginning, when he saw the 3,000-year-old map of Hamanoptera. 
How? He tried to stop them. He tried to burn them out. They didn't get the message. But he ended up unnecessarily, probably, sacrificing himself for the gang when they were going to the manhole to get away from the village lepers. He threw himself into the crowd, hacking and slashing, and got gobbled up by the gang. And for that, I give him my true hero. I think that's an admirable true hero and a great candidate. So let's go. Why don't we go clockwise? Mitch, who's your true hero? You know who my true hero is, Zach. Should I say it or should you say it? It's Captain Winston Havelock. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He was so fun from the very beginning. And just that, like when he enters the scene, you're like, who the fuck is this like random British air pilot just coming out of nowhere wearing his jacket the way that can't wear a jacket guy's trying to wear his jacket like regally. He's got to be like four brandies deep because he's slurring his words. He's walking through fountains. He's a ton of fun from the get-go. And then as soon as they go and they're like, hey, uh, we're kind of in like a the world's going to end situation and we need to get out into the desert really quickly and the only way to do that is a plane. Like, we're probably not coming back from this. He's like, let's fucking do this shit. And he, he takes him out in the plane. And if it weren't for him being there, Imhotep would have sacrificed Evie and the world would have come to an end, I assume. He was just such a likable chap from the very beginning. Indeed. And he went down with honors. Great true hero. Thank you. Did you almost choose Winston Havelock? He was a secondary choice to me. Oh, okay. 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 I mean, I think they both served the same purpose, which was to move the plot forward. And they both did. Like, without Dr. Terrence Bay, without the curator, they wouldn't have been able to escape the horde of leprosy, the horde of lepers. And without Havelock, they wouldn't have been able to make it to the desert. So... Sarah, how are you feeling? Have you got a true hero? I'm feeling good. Yeah. Um, he's probably one of, one of the more main characters, but not like the duo. Okay. Jonathan. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Okay. He, this wouldn't be possible without his kleptomania. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there, there's something to be said about him stealing. He's also down for the adventure. He never complains. He's scared at times, but he's always down to fight. Well, maybe not down to fight, but... I would say that Jonathan is both the cause and the effect. That's fair. (laughs) There would be no movie without Jonathan. There wouldn't be a movie without Jonathan. And in that way, I think he is a true hero. Yeah. For the audience. Yeah. He's got the most comical input. He does. We didn't do a good job of really explaining it, but uh, Jonathan, played played by John Hanna, he's kind of the, like, checked out, greedy, funny... Usually drunk. Usually drunk. I think it's a great choice, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. Bravo. Thank you. Applaud. Well, we know what time it is now. We sure do, Zach. Oh, shit. He started. So does that mean I have to do spaghetti? <laughs> How do you know my dish? We don't dish? have to stick to that. <laughs> Did you read kidding. my dish? I chose spaghetti. No, you didn't. Yeah. No, you didn't. No, Did you didn't. really? Oh, <laughs> no. wow. <laughs> 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 the actors. Fuck. What's wrong with spaghetti? Nothing's wrong with spaghetti. It's a really great dish. In fact, it is the album art of our first season, and I have this finished copy to show you guys. God, so cool. Well, let's start with the guests. Sarah, as you may know. (laughs) Wait, aren't we done? (laughs) Can I go home now? As you don't know, apparently. Can I please leave this room? One of the segments we do as, as our titular podcast title, which is titular. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds so dirty it sounds redundant and dirty this last segment is the titular name of our podcast Stop saying that's that so word. redundant <laughs> titular the titular name 
This is the titular segment of our podcast. The namesake. The titular namesake of our podcast. <laughs> Sarah's like, stop saying titular. This is the moist titular segment <laughs> where we discuss the dish that this movie resembles to you or the metaphor or what this movie is in dish form. It's very up to interpretation. So what dish is this movie for you, Sarah? Is there a drum roll sound effect on there? Um, there's not, but I can insert one. Falafel. Whoa. I yeah. love it. After I watched this movie, I was like, what dish is this? Obviously. And I immediately felt it was Middle Eastern, some sort of Mediterranean dish. Racist. Just <laughs> <laughs> spit all over your mouth. I hate it too. <laughs> it's very moist. <laughs> like falafel. When researching falafel, just to find some facts, it originated in fucking Egypt. What? Really? Mind blown. Wow. I was like, this couldn't be more perfect. As you know, or you may not, falafel is made from vegetables and spices. And it's just like formed together into little, not meatballs, but little veggie balls. And, you know, I thought it was a perfect metaphor for simple ingredients coming together to form this satisfying, hearty meal, just like this movie is. It's got simple ingredients, simple act, not actors, sorry, Brendan, but... um, (laughs) Simple actors, Brendan Fraser, but a simple man. It's got simple ideas that just cooked together to create this great meal, which Mm. is falafel. I also saw in this recipe blog that I was reading about falafel that it is make ahead and freezer friendly, just like mummies. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. That's great. Yeah, that's my meal. That's my dish, man. That is an excellent dish. That's Thank a great, you. Well done. Thank you. Wonderful dish entry. Good luck following that, assholes. Whoa. Just kidding. Sorry, that I came out really aggressive. <laughs> Good luck following that, my friends. So in answer to your previous question, you are a one and done guest, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this. this is it. Where's the table flip sound effect? You try flipping this table. <laughs> I want to see you try it. That was seriously a great dish. That Thank was, you. Really, Thank really you. Great. Extraordinary research. And also, it reminds me of spaghetti. Great dishing. <laughs> Continuing the trend. It's like the Arabic meatball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Spaghetti with falafel. That's racist. Mitch, how about you? What dish is the mummy for you? For me, the mummy is trace leches cake. Oh. Ooh, go on. So if you know what Trace Leches Cake is, it's not Egyptian, it's not Middle Eastern, it's a Hispanic dish. But what it is, is a delicious sponge cake, like a very light and airy cake that is served in a, like, not a sauce, it's, it's actually doused in and it's served in a liquid, which is Trace Leches, meaning three milks, um, those being condensed and evaporated milk, and then it's either heavy cream or whole milk as well. So three milks mixed together. And the reason why I choose Trace Leches cake is because, um, first of all, Trace Leches cake is delicious. It is very indulgent. It's it's sweet, but it's not too sweet. The metaphor that I've created here is the three milks are the three elements of genre in the Mummy. The Mummy is an action movie. It is a horror movie, and it is a comedy. But the thing about those three genres is it's very difficult to blend them all together and come out with something very good. In the same way, it's very difficult to blend three different milks together and get something really tasty. 
And the sponge cake in this for me is the plot and the lore. Like the lore, while it is like completely historically false, it's still really fun. It's still really engaging. And then the plot, like you said, it, it brings you in. It's something fun and exciting. It's also just something that's indulgent that you, that you like. You treat yourself to every once in a while and you enjoy every bite of it. In the same way you enjoy every scene of The Mummy. For me, The Mummy is Trace Leche's cake. <laughs> did I press the you applause did, button? You did. It, you actually nice. chose the right one. Nice. Uh, my vision was obscured by that pretzel bag. Oh yeah. You, and so I, I don't know how I know. I just intuition. Just that ESPN. <laughs> um, solid dish that all coalesced into a nice dish. I don't know if I've inspired dish envy in you or not, but uh, that's mine. It's a very solid one. What you got, boy? Mine is by far the most specific that I've done. Specific is good. Is it suspiciously but, specific? Is it pegs in a blanket, like wrapped up like mummies? Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, it is good. specific, even possibly to the point of at a specific restaurant. <laughs> My dish is ramen in the mid-2000s in America. Whoa. Very specific. The restaurant that I'm perhaps adding to this is Momofuku Noodle Bar, which is in New York. Everyone knows Momofuku Noodle Bar. Yes, of course. I figured since this is a dish uh, movie about dish, a uh, movie, di- uh, dish about dishes, <laughs> dish about podcasts, <laughs> a podcast about dishes. What have we become? We should maybe have a little bit more foodie trivia or knowledge in here or whatever. Ramen kind of exploded in the past 15 years or so. A lot of it was due to this one particular noodle bar, which I unwittingly ate at like 10 years ago. I am a huge fan of ramen. But it wasn't very popular in America pre like mid 2000s. This noodle bar brought it to America, I guess, but added some other like elements that weren't there in like traditional Japanese ramen. But the reason that's important is to me, I feel like the mummy laid the foundation for a lot of current action movies, specifically Marvel comic universe. I feel like they capitalize a lot on like really good fun action, but also like heroes that can be innocent or actually have good humor that's not just cheesy. And this movie was one of the first ones to do that, I think. It seemed to be that way for me. And so this noodle bar kind of pioneered the ramen game, but also in adding like kind of non-traditional elements to the ramen, it's kind of the same as like blending the genres like you mentioned it's a little bit of horror a little bit of action some comedy ramen is just it takes a lot of time to put together it, it all comes together so good all the different elements and that was you know brendan fraser rachel weiss it all just it stuck with me since i saw it in 99 so love it nice i just nerded out on that dish no dude you did I, the passion is real yeah no it was a great comparison that was good i feel like we all had good dishes we we know mine was the best yeah sarah's wins in the podcast that was a really fun movie. I super enjoyed doing pod with you both. But I think at this point, we have to figure out what's next. George of the Jungle. Oh, yes. It's not George of the Jungle, probably. We have a list of about 30 movies that we're pulling from for season one of The Dish. Uh, we've got it up here. We're going to roll a die and figure out what we are going to watch next. Want to roll them bones, Zach? Yeah, let's do it. I have rolled a 25. What do we got, Zach? Bad boys, bad boys. What, what you, you gonna, gonna do? What you gonna do when, when they, they come, come for you? All right, I guess it's bad boys then, huh? Boy, we're gonna be watching some cops. <laughs> That's I, Will Smith, right? Yeah, no, I'm very excited. Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence, yeah, there you go. All right, you, you got it, viewers. Next time on The Dish, we'll be reviewing and finding a dish for Bad Boys. Our first Will Smith movie.
Oh. Tense fingers. Rubs hands together anxiously. Well, thanks to Sarah for joining us in the dish. Thanks for having this was me, awesome. guys. Thanks this for coming. Was it was really fun. This was our first uh, with a guest. And, uh, you know, I got to say, threesomes are pretty fun. Flattered to be your first threesome. <laughs> I hope I didn't sour your. It was taste only awkward in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this pod didn't sour your imagination of the mummy. It did not. Good. Does Good. it make you love it even more? It makes me want to go watch it again. Fuck yeah. Nice. And eat some falafel. Hell yeah. Well, we've got to thank our amazing viewers, of which there are at least... Four? Maybe around 10 at this point. Wow. Yeah. We're growing, people. There are literally tens of us. (laughs) Literal (laughs) tens of viewers of The Dish. We have not yet released to the public, but as of this recording, mid-November 2021... November 14th. Thank you, Sarah. Sunday. 1013. We don't want people to dox us. PM. <laughs> but we have decided to go ahead and release the first two episodes of The Dish, those being Patriot Games and The Hunt for Red October, on all podcast platforms everywhere. It is. <laughs> it is. We're excited to put this out in the world and actually see if people like it. We are. We're thankful for our tens of fans that we know that we are maybe self-conscious do they actually like it because they're friends with us or because it's actually good? We're anxious to hear strangers' feedback for our pod. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hearing this on the internet and don't know us, leave a comment on whatever podcast reviewing platform you use. iTunes? Spotify? Patreon? Uh, no Patreon We don't yet, have Patreon. But we've got ideas. Get in touch with us. Our Who's email. Jack Baldwin? <laughs> <laughs> Who is he indeed, Sarah? <laughs> Our email <laughs> is dishing through decades. That's dishing, T H R O U G H, decades at gmail.com. Email us with any comments, feedback. It feels dangerous to just openly solicit emails, but uh, at this point, we're hungry for feedback. So we got nothing to hide. Jack Baldwin is waiting for you to suggest your favorite movie Who's for us fuck to review. Is Jack Baldwin. <laughs> Wow, this is great. This is exactly what everyone else is thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Is this why we chose Jack Baldwin? Yeah, sure. As the email account name? Is this like your manager? No, so Jack Baldwin is the culmination of Jack Ryan, the Tom Clancy hero, and Alec Baldwin, who played Jack Baldwin. We accidentally like misspoke Jack Baldwin a couple times because we we kept doing this bad uh, Trump thing, which I'm sure we'll come back. And uh, hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> Worst Trump impressions ever. I accidentally called Alec Baldwin Jack Baldwin. We thought it was funny, and so we made it our email. Yeah, send us a send us a line. Tell us what you think about the pod. We're hoping you like it. If you don't, sorry, but don't tell your friends. This is still kind of embarrassing for us. Or maybe it shouldn't be, and you should tell us why. That's for our different podcast called The Dish Therapy Session. (laughs) (laughs) You can find The Dish Therapy uh, Saturdays at 8. The first episode's titled, Why Aren't I Good Enough? (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I get close to an answer, I get a proximity bonus. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't get answers. (laughs) I arrive at conclusions. (laughs) (laughs) Well... This has been The Dish. Thank you for listening to us dish and shoot the shit about the mummy. And until next time. Keep it juicy. Keep your dishes juicy and your mummies dry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Bye.